I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch you and smirk as you listen to our podcast. Don't you think you're culpable for all the bad jokes we're making? <laughs> from the line that your position on this movie has not changed, Aaron. even though you saw a new one, Aaron, Peter, let's just let's just find out. We'll get into okay. it. Okay, uh, where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of a month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. Not much contrasting happening this month because even though this theme makes a lot of sense, encompasses a wide variety of genres. Uh, it is not, you know, the movies don't really relate to each other, but we're doing in celebration of February, where we all know has the big game. We're doing big game month featuring, uh, big games, but no actual games. It's our last, uh, week where we are doing, yes, we know it's March. We'll catch up in May. Uh, don't worry about it, but it's our last February episode that's coming out the first week of March. Uh, and we are talking about probably the lightest one. I think this will be a fun, breezy episode. Uh, and that is 2007's, uh, Funny Games, sometimes stylized as Funny Games US, which is a, uh, 10 year later shot for shot American remake by the same director, Michael Haneke, of 1997's Funny Games. And I'll just start, Peter. I think my big criticism of the movie is that the games are almost too funny for a drama. And uh, it's like it's veering into comedy territory. It's like, when will the when will the laughter stop and we can just absorb the the break in? Yeah, it, it is. It is definitely um, sort of uh, I would say actually a little bit suspicious how often that these goofs uh, get me knee slapping because I actually I don't know what the message of the movie is. It's pretty it's 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 so subtle. It's kind of buried between all the hilarious um uh jests, jibes. Oh, there's jump jives and whales. When you got to. Yeah, well that's cuz Brian Sensor plays the dog. <laughs> he's he's not he's not a full cast member. It's like a brief cameo, I think I'd describe it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's like David so, Bowie in uh, Twin Peaks, Firewalk with me. Or Zoolander. Uh, with the same amount of laughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so Funny Games is actually one of those episodes that I think Peter and I very early on were like, we should do Funny Games. And then we just never, you know, there's not a month where we're like, <laughs> we thought of like, what's a, we could do a month where we, we know we disagree on something. We could do uh, any any sort of other theme I think would be a bummer. Like, uh, I like uh, almost, I think, all the Michael Haneke movies I've seen. But I wouldn't want to do a Michael Haneke month. Even, you know, in full transparency as the person who was pushing a little harder than the other person to do funny games. 
we canceled this recording like three three times and didn't cancel recording but we just picked something else on our list because there was a lot of like look it's been a long week i don't know if i want to watch funny games this week let's instead watch 30 episodes of the (laughs) x-files yeah i i think i think at one point i did uh i did put it off for both um evangelion and for twin peaks firewalk with me yeah so uh i i was like "Mm -hmm." it's not my my brand of trauma right now yeah and i so i think this is also a weird movie where i think peter and i uh agree on what the movie's trying to do i think maybe even i think we'd probably agree We'll, we'll get into it about like how effective he gets across that message and I'm sure, like, I, we, we probably will agree um, uh, on, like, how horrific and depressing a lot of the scenes are. And I, I, I even reading a lot of the reviews that were on the negative side of this or, or the original. And, I, I, you know, I did find that, like, most of them were like, yeah, I mean, it definitely accomplished what it was trying to do. And what it was trying to do, I fucking hate. Like, <laughs> you know, so... I think also to, to couple with the fact that the movie is incredibly obvious and in what it's trying to do. Uh, some there's plenty to talk about today, though. There's there's plenty of techniques that he uses for it that I think kind of um, make it a more interesting film than it, than at first glance. Um, also, this guy is like an anti David Lynch. He like will like go out and, and talk about all of all of his influences. He'll talk about yeah uh, what he intended with that scene, was... why he did something. <laughs> I was reading a few, yeah, a few interviews, and it was like uh, they were very funny. I almost sent you excerpts from one, uh, one where uh, well, I mean, this is a very. I mean, Michael Haneke is from Austria, so he's got that kind of Germ- Germanic uh, attitude. And his, I mean, his movies are bleak, Peter. He does not have a lot of high thoughts about society in general. And uh, but there was an interview where he said, "What do you think about someone um, who saw the movie, stayed till the end, and uh, she like someone I know who left crying because of what they had seen?" And he's like, "She stayed till the end and left crying." <laughs> and the, the interviewer, I think, at Entertainment Weekly was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Well, you know, she has enough self pity; she doesn't need any from me." <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, I, way I to live up to your movies total, like as a person. You are, uh, you are, you are exactly what I expect. It's not like and David Lynch. See, David Lynch is different in that, like, when, like, you know, you're like, here's the weather report. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's the guy that, like, was so scared of talking to his kid, he made a racer head? All right, that's a little weird. Where Michael Haneke is exact, like, if you watch a Michael Haneke movie and then read a Michael Haneke interview, you're like, yeah, that lines up. Oh, yeah, and, and I've read a similar version of, because he, 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 he took a million interviews and also an ad- one advantage is that uh, he did interviews in 1997 through through 2007 and beyond about um, the original Funny Games. And then he started speaking about the 2000 uh, remake uh, years after that. And they're essentially a shot for shot movie. The themes are the same. The script is pretty darn close. There's a few things that are modernized, like what's on the TV. Or I guess Americanized, like what's on the TV and certain means of dress. But like, largely the movies are the same. So like, you can basically read an interview about the 1997 movie. Yeah. And it applies to the 2007 movie, which was nice for research. And then in one, a similar story he told at some point was, um, he said a quote, um, that was, uh, if you, if you left the movie early, that's fantastic. Like the, you didn't need the movie. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. 
And if you left, and if you stayed to the end, you absolutely needed the movie, and I'm glad that you had an adverse reaction to it. <laughs> yeah, I read, he said that about 2007, too, so I, it's likely that, I mean, again, like you said, it's a shot, uh, shot for shot remake. And let's, let's, let, maybe let's start there. So, uh, so Michael Haneke, I discovered through 2007 Funny Games, um, which probably makes sense to talk a little bit about, like, what I went in thinking, then we'll talk a little bit about Haneke. So, um, Funny Games, uh, was a movie like, like Martyrs or in the French Inside, uh, the extreme horror movie, or, um, what's the, what's, uh, Irreversible. That, like, were movies that I'd read some really good reviews from from reviewers I, I trusted, like a Scott Tobias or, you know, other AV clubbers and stuff like that. But that I had, like, this thing where even though I'm not necessarily scared by gore or even extreme horror, there are certain movies that you feel like you've read so much about all the warnings that it's like, okay, I this one I'm still a little bit nervous of. So, like, Inside matches that. Irreversible, I never even got around to seeing because it was like, I just, I know why people have a hard time watching it. And even though it do that doesn't make it a good or a bad movie, like, I just have never been in the mood to, like, you know, you like, when you hear about this, either from a gore or upsetting perspective, it's like, do I want to commit a night of my precious free time to feeling really bad? And a lot of times that answer is no. So... I saw Fun and Games, uh, I think a lot of people on the assumption that I was seeing, like, a sicker, more twisted, more violent, more gory version of, of like, uh, The Strangers or something like that. And it's not that. We'll get into what it is in a second. But I was, I was pretty blown away by it. I probably saw it in, like, 2010-ish. Um, and you're right, Peter. We'll get into this more detail. It's not that I didn't understand what it was trying to do. It's, it's not a subtle movie. I don't think it's trying to be a... It's. I mean, it's literally rubbing your face into what the message is or what it's trying to make you think through or stuff like that. But I was still like just not just impressed with um, it tonally or stuff like that, but like the way it was directed and the coldness of the scenes and like even rewatching it for the first time in, in a while. Um, it's a long movie. Uh, there's definitely some parts that dragged a little bit. But uh, I still felt myself very captured to the directing and stuff like that. So I went on a little uh, Haneke binge. Haneke is a, you know, Austrian director, a German-Austrian director, who I think – I would say that he kind of – he had a few movies before this. But he sort of made his name with a movie called Benny's Video in 1992, um, a movie I haven't seen in all fairness. But I, I feel like uh, that's the one that people kind of talk about as like – you know, my, it's 1992. It's like the year of the, you know, how many uh, articles are we reading right now about 1992 Sundance, the year of like independent and art cinema breaking out and stuff like that. And that was kind of like, it was definitely a few rungs down from the Reservoir Dogs and stuff like that. But it was like in the conversation as like this auteur foreign director. But he, he makes movies that really kind of show both the destructive forces of violence um, and also the general bleakness of humanity's ability to um, to rise above some of our innate urges. Or if 
the the people that are not necessarily um, committing the atrocities are sort of stuck uh, stuck in the mire of those that are like you can't you know you might not be the one inflicting violence that doesn't necessarily mean you're guilty but ultimately uh, there's nothing you can do to stop because the world and the power dynamics in them are innately like broken and sad and so you know I saw a few movies of his that I also love that really match that cachet which is almost like, uh, I don't know, like the reverse funny games in some ways, where instead of an active presence, this person keeps getting these tapes sent to him that obsesses them. Um, uh, 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 Time of the Wolf, which is, uh, or Hour of the Wolf. T- Time of the Wolf. I always confuse it with the with the, the Bergman, Bergman movie. movie, but it's it's Time of the Wolf. It's Time about of the Wolf, kind of which a, is, uh, uh, yeah, like it's like an apocalyptic thriller about like bourgeois people sort of devolving, and then yeah, the Hour of the, Hour of the Wolf is the, the yeah. Bergman uh, kind of surreal horror, art horror movie. Yeah, the White Ribbon, which kind of takes all of his themes and like, okay, well, what what if I put all those things of the bleakness of humanity and the inability to stop the the people who are wielding like destructive power? I should probably make a movie about Nazis. So <laughs> the white ribbon is, is that. And then uh, obviously I, I saw the original funny games and then uh, a more, which is uh, a movie that actually like got him. I think, I think he won the best picture or best foreign. He won film for the that. Palm door for um, he owned the Palm door for a more, um, which is easy to remember. Door for a more. That's why I want more. I mean, uh, you're speaking right to people's rhyming predilections. <laughs> the uh, Henneke scores. Second door for a more, not a four. Uh, Hanukkah, Hanukkah, uh, hardcore door for a more question. More, <laughs> yes, more. Yes, you made more. more movies, uh, yeah, which is more about like the bleakness of like, uh, old uh, being elderly and having your wife dying, and like, you know, it's like the old comedian joke, like, um. Uh, if, if everything works out perfectly in your life, you'll end up dying alone after your loved one dies. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and so uh, I, there's still a few of his uh, that I, I've always been meaning to see, like Benny's video, like the piano teacher, like Code Unknown that I haven't got to. But I mean, um, partially just because all of his movies that I've seen for the most part are like, as I said, something you need to kind of like – steal yourself for like i'm gonna watch something that's gonna bum me out and that's okay i, I like you know I, I moved a little bit from like my 20s where like that was cinema that i exclusively like this is gonna destroy this is gonna fucking wreck me <laughs> cannot wait to feel those feelings um so i've been less uh less uh active in the last few years of like seeking out those those other ones but uh i generally i'm very positive which is probably a term that Haneke himself would not like me applying to him. But I'm, I'm generally very positive about Haneke. I think he makes brutal movies, but like brutal movies that um, affect me uh, greatly. Hey, uh, my, my experience with Haneke is is sort of mixed. I've really enjoyed uh, a more well, – enjoyed the I know. <laughs> word. Um, I was very – Respected. Uh, uh, yeah, I respected it. I appreciated him more. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely – it's a lovely film. It, it's, it's brutally unflinching in how the ravages of old age and, and, it, and it doesn't uh, sentimentalize these things. And, and uh, that'll, we'll come back to that idea of like sentimentalizing things uh, later because um, – his sort of career is, is about like tearing away artifice. 
Um, <clears throat> and uh, White Ribbon, I, I loved. White Ribbon, I think, is, is uh, from what I've seen, his, his best work uh, to date. And I saw Funny Games in the context of uh, the... What, really quickly, were those the only two? Did you... I, I have a feeling that uh, you would love Cache, so I was just curious if those were the. No, I haven't seen Cache, but like, spoiler, I liked this movie more than I liked the original movie, but that might just mean that like, sort of my ability to appreciate it has changed. Not that I think this is necessarily a better movie. Um, I do think that it's not that the performances. We'll get into this, but I do think um, I can whether the performances are better or or worse i'm not really like i'm not trying to say one way or the other because i actually know the original performances get a lot of accolades it's just i you know they're having it in my the native language that i speak i think has more emotional connection to both like tonal things which are so important but um in these performances of like people showing fear but not wanting to show too much fear or showing like malice without showing too much malice and then it helps that like all our three main characters are just tremendously good at what they're doing yeah yeah i uh i saw some reviews uh sort of um calling out that they liked certain performances better um in the original film and like i I, it's been so long i can't fairly judge all all i can say is that like i was very appreciative of all the performances in this film and uh even more so appreciative of that uh, amazing moment after uh the sun dies and we're just stuck with the couple Oh, we're stuck yeah. stuck with Anna and George. That's uh that's that 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 sort of uh moment where ju- we're just stuck in long takes with them and in sort of a survivalist trauma speaking mode is what really turned me around on the film. But we'll get we'll get to that. Um but yeah, I I uh if you look at your phone, I I gave it more stars than the other one. Um I didn't. I was interested. I wanted to kind of save for this. So. Yeah. So the uh, I watched this within the context of uh, just being a horror fan and, and being like, okay, this is the next next big shocking statement on horror. And I came into it not uh, really from the perspective of like a gore hound or from the perspective of somebody who was looking for the next thing that would shock me. I was looking for... Did you think, did you think it was going to be based on what you'd heard? Like, did you have a sense of this is going to be brutal and then not quite understand what it meant when you i mean we hear like german you know family terrorize you know horror film that's brutal to watch and about a uh, a couple teenagers that terrorize a family in a home like you're like oh i know what this is i i i, I actually had had been a little bit pre-prepped um yeah. but from someone who appreciated the film so i didn't come in like uh guns loaded but i was like very much ready to have a conversation with the original film where i was like yeah i mean um relation art film f- film's relationship and media's relationship with violence and does it glorify violence and and, and are we being desensitized to violence and what's the impact of that like that's something we're going to need to talk about probably until yeah. a nuclear blast takes us all out like that's probably something that <laughs> and we're then going... that'll prove the answer is yes the answer is yes yeah. <laughs> um and uh haneke and can uh, uh crawl out uh, of his uh bunker I did and, it. <laughs> and shake hands with a cockroach and then fall over dead from radiation poisoning um Avidazin or something. Um, and he too joyful. <laughs> so I and I went into it in that context, and I was um, struck by the brutality and the directness of it. And uh, but I knew thirty minutes in that when uh, the the 
one one of the boys they keep changing names we, we probably have to come up with i, I kind of like peter and paul because it's funny um but he calls him tom most of all um yeah. but uh let's let let's say paul uh paul turns and looks to the camera with like a smirking grin and it was like "Ooh, this is gonna be this is gonna be interesting and i came away at the end of the movie very mad at it because i don't mm-hmm. think it actually had anything particularly interesting to say uh and now that years have passed and i've sort of more appreciated uh films that uh can ask questions but aren't providing pat answers like my my thinking has evolved i'm still no mm-hmm. no great fan of these movies but i can at least appreciate um him making space for these questions and the yeah. fact that and, and and i think the reason that i like the movie now more than i did and when I watched the 1987 one, let's say a decade ago, um, is a reason that I think Henneke would hate, uh, which is that I, I I appreciate it now more as just a straight horror movie before we get to what I think is like a not particularly interesting set of social questions. <laughs> um, like, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think it like as a horror movie, I enjoyed it more as like an actual genre exercise. Uh, and like it gave me that that itch. And what I wasn't doing at the time, I was able to I was I was so annoyed with the ending. And like the fact that like, I, I feel like he wasn't actually engaging with what horror and film means or what, what violence and films means that i just like discounted the fact that like well i mean for an hour and 30 minutes plus of this thing i had had a pretty solid i had had a pretty solid genre experience uh that like yeah was is subversive and it 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 seems to speak to the genre in a way that like is funny because he says he's not really a big fan of the genre yet he has like a pretty clear understanding of what we want out of the genre like I wasn't appreciating that stuff because the last 15, 20 minutes made me so mad. <laughs> and now yeah. I can kind of appreciate the first two thirds. And then I appreciate that you and I can like have probably an interesting conversation that I, I don't think the movie is really makes space to have. So, yeah, I, I definitely think we're going to have an, an interesting conversation. And I, I think you're hundred percent right. Like rewatching it for the first time in probably a decade for me as well, Peter, like, uh, now I had seen I'd seen the original I'd seen this one and then I had uh, a couple years after that seen the the original, um, so I had seen like a version of Funny Games more recently. But uh, having not seen this movie, like it is like knowing what's going to happen twice in two different languages, it is so goddamn tense. Like the the it the tension and knowing what's coming. Knowing the brutality. And also, I would also note, this is the first time that I've seen it since I've had kids, I think, either version. So, Oh, that's um, interesting. So it's not, um, so it's not like the, 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 I mean, I had younger brothers and sisters, so it's not like I couldn't get my head wrapped around the horror that was going on. <laughs> it's but not the, like that Matt Damon quote where he's like, as the father of daughters, I'm yeah, particularly supportive of feminism. As, <laughs> As a father of kids, I'm not I like, can understand why you wouldn't want your kid to be blown away by a shotgun. <laughs> I'm like, why, why are evolved, they so my, my views on kid, someone's kids taking shotgun blasts has evolved now that I have my own. Why, why are they so mad that their roommate got shot? <laughs> yeah. what? I, so he didn't work and didn't pay rent. Like, <laughs> right there. Beats. That's, more space. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I but there's like little moments of like um that I think I just recognized more, both in like uh facial expressions or like 
realizing a little more what they were trying to make sure they didn't do by having their son participate and like like recognizing that these are kind of you know these are sadists and and they are trying they're trying to participation means likely more death and and uh some of that happens more when he does you know try to run away and and gets caught that he's being you know Death was likely, but now they're working to corrupt him and make his death or his uh, impending death some sort of joke. So there there was a lot of those little things. And again, it helps that fucking Watts and Roth are putting on a, uh, a term I rarely use, but a clinic into like facial expression and ways that words are said acting like this. This truly is like in a just world. Uh, whether you like the movie or not, I think that Roth and uh, Naomi Watts should be nominated for all the awards just because this is just incredibly impressive. And, and Watts, I, I think I read an interview where she speaks generally positive about um, about uh, the original. They because they did watch the original before making this, and then at some point, Hanneke was like, "Okay, we're not going to. You are not allowed to watch it anymore. You're grounded from the original Funny Game, so that it ends up not being a." a, a Copying, but your but your own performance, but also has noted that she's never been able to bring herself to watch this movie just because she knows what it was like. Uh, trying to bring that performance, uh, that performance to life. So I, but I I agree. Like the the horror parts are very uh, are very strong. I I think it does make sense to get into a little bit of the theming. At least just generally. So we could fill two I, and a half hours on, on just the theming and then be like, oh, yeah. Uh, did we mention that weird thing with the golf ball? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a good horror moment. It's great. Like, the great horror My heart moment. Sang. So, so um, I like so. Hold on, let me back up. Uh, so I think like one of the ways that this does really work for me, Peter, like um, and, and I, I get Actually, before we get into this, this was a question that I don't know if, like, I don't want to make it sound like uh, a reason to dismiss your opinion on the movie. But you, at an earlier age, were more of a gore hound than me. And obviously, this is a movie about taking pleasure in, like, the response to taking pleasure in brutal horror movies where, theoretically, you don't want people to die, but actually, like, you know, you're watching the movie to see the person get ripped apart or whatever else like that. And you you had said to me that you felt like you felt you had fought an uphill battle to try to uh, underline that that genre is, like, art and has a lot of movies that should be respected the way – other movies are respected. So I was legitimately curious if there was a part of you that like even someone making a movie about that felt like fuck you old man. I I the the I, I think you're pointing at kind of one of my core problems with it is that like I I think he's really reductive about what violence on film is and in uh in trying in in sort of hand waving and dismissing away violence on film um and i i do think that like something that people don't talk about enough is like what is horror and why do people watch horror because like i think even people that are self-professed gorehounds which i'm not really one of them i mean i watch like watching very violent things and that's mostly like an appreciation for um filmmaking and 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 liking the um I liking the ex- the exciting sort of thrill of just being like, yeah. holy shit, 
<laughs> this is something that guy's head see. got ripped off. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it yeah. is. It is like wild and alluring to see this on screen violence. I'm not going to deny that fact. Yeah, and but horror, it, wor- good horror and good gore. We talked about this in the show. It works the same way as good comedy. It's almost like set up punchline. There's the guy standing there, and then oh shit. His head and his spine got ripped off. I was not expecting that, and now I'm reacting viscerally to it. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 talking to a deeper part of your subconscious, and I feel like it's really dismissive to just call like to treat these exercises similar to the reason I had problems with like the gore porn, um, torture porn sort of labels, even though I've used them before. Yeah. Because once when you use them, they are shorthand. Like everyone knows what you're talking about, right? Um, yeah. I, is because I think it's really dismissive about what the filmmaker is actually trying to say. With the- we, we, we've had that conversation yeah. so many times that like, like, yes, there is some terrible ones and yes, it was a mini genre within horror, but it made a lot of like, in the same way any genre only makes like, there's a bunch of terrible slashers too. Like there's also some fucking artful, amazing ones. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and like even like <laughs> even Hostel, which uh, is a movie made by a person I think is uh, not particularly smart or interesting or has anything. Yeah, interesting and progressively to say. getting worse as a, anyone that I'm even able to defend as well. Yeah, he likes horror. Yeah, He's enthusiastic. Yeah, like I I no longer have the thing about the Eli Roth where I'm like I don't like his movies, but you know it'd be fun to get a beer with him. Now I'm like, did you see Green Inferno? He had a bunch of weird shit about how like. Uh, I know millennials I are know. all fake activists and, and like yada yada like um and he came also from it- like there's other hairstyles dude oh uh, yeah <laughs> yeah Crispin Glover has a great one stick with them. you yeah, ever seen Willard like, like yeah I mean 2000 you know 2002 whatever like yeah use that gel boy like that's <laughs> what we're doing but like it's 20 years later you're you're 50. I'm not trying to be superficial or judge someone's looks. I'm just saying, explore your options. Try uh, something else new. Yeah, when somebody like basically identifies as like the frat boy of horror, it's fine to judge their looks. Um, but the 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 point is like even I really Roth with his at, his too, torture porn shit. He was like hostile. When you watch Hostile now, it's very clearly a post 9/11 movie about Americans treating yeah. the world like it's their their fucked up playground and what would happen if the 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 the, the, the worm turned. Um, and Hostel 2 is very much about, like, uh, the violent Americans specifically and rich people and the way that they um, – yeah. I mean, yeah. like, it's it, – they're, they're very, like – they're – whether you think the themes are done well or not, there is, like – I think those are very artful, violent movies that's using its violence for a particular purpose. Yeah. The violence is a filmic technique. Like, direct on-screen violence is, like, a filmic technique. Like, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's over-deployed. For sure. Um, violence in film is something that, like, our culture has, like, an obsession with. And we very often uh, don't have a lot of films that that don't in some way feature violence. And violence is, like, the plot driver in a lot of these films. But, like, um, he doesn't really have anything. And I don't think Henneke has much to say about that. I think he just wants to ask the question, which is fine. Like, that gives me a little bit more room to play here. But, like, um, the violence is just a filmic technique. Like, I think it's like the same way that people make fun of like, like, oh, is it an indie platformer? Oh, it's actually about depression. Like the like there's a yeah, a lot of indie developers are depressed. <laughs> like, uh, are you sick of like, are you sick of uh, video games only being about violence? Like, that's true because it's like that's that's an action that you could commit and it provides some challenge and it provides friction in the world. Like that is that is a problem in, in media in general. 
Uh, I think the problem yeah. the problem is um, it's not that 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 violence is used in media or that, that that like people crave violence in media. I don't think there's I don't think there's that at all. I don't think that's a problem at all. I think the problem is that it's overdeployed and that we don't have enough film that is about like conversation and about like conflict that's not violent or it's not um, physically violent. It can be so, sort of psychologically or intellectually violent, but like yeah. physical uh, bodies being destroyed kind of violence like yes too many movies are about that it's like it's 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 too but that's like saying why i get frustrated with like too many like i think we can have a conversation about like um you know uh killing as a as a gameplay mechanic but like there is there is a swath between like yeah you know games need to have gameplay and one one gameplay mechanic that's been instilled forever is like how do i remove x and like uh and so a lot of times that can be shooting and that could be jumping on people's heads in mario or whatever else and like that and like there's a difference between violence as a gameplay mechanic and then like some of the stuff that i think is more insidious like a call of duty or something like like yeah there there can be a line between when violence is deployed and i i have no qualms in general about shooters or having fun playing those games while recognizing that there's like whether it's the game fault or not although i think some of the jingoism in those kind of military shooters are 100 percent the game's fault but there's definitely you know there a game can't necessarily be blamed for the worst people like raising it up as some sort of like sacred text to justify violence uh but you're right you're right i want to park really quickly on something you said that like comes to mind which is like i think somebody that like actually is a genre filmmaker can say a lot more about the genre than somebody who's an outsider looking in and this is something i'll keep coming back to because like uh is a (laughs) hanneke is someone who like at the beginning of the movie he's making fun of this this family is sort of like a bourgeois family with their rich summer cottage and the and the groceries and the fact that they're like well they're renting the house i mean they're borrowing the house it's not their cottage oh it's not i didn't catch that fact oh that kind of no actually i i actually always took so i don't think that the bourgeoisie the class dynamic that heineke talks about in, in some of his stuff i actually think like to me that doesn't track at all and not is not something i'm worth talking about but i think the kind of the way that i took it is that actually the kids were the like rich assholes untethered to uh the common man through like being these like privileged people who like uh and in the line they say at one point which is like why are you doing this they say why not like the idea that like uh essentially like people that look like hitler youth have nothing better to and and have money have nothing better to do than to uh play with other people like play things now maybe that's like that was like when i read it was about the bourgeoisie or whatever i was like oh is is that it but they're definitely renting that home that's oh, okay well that's still that's still a mark of class and the fact that he that he's so confident that he knows he can just pull up to the house and they know the neighbors and she kisses the neighbor gently on the cheek and he knows how to sail that's all marks of class that like i yeah. you know like uh definitely speak to people that make way more money than me um yeah and uh and and uh the the simp- the 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 the, bourge- the bourgeois sort of class thinking that happens in this movie uh i just there's no real place for this at the beginning of the movie because i, I wanted to talk about what you're talking what you just mentioned which is just like i don't particularly think the class portion of this particularly works for in condemnation no. of the family except for that it makes the family off-putting and cold at the beginning like the fact that they're playing a game in the car guessing classical, classical oh, yeah. music 
Yeah. Uh, but I do want to I do want to call something out while we're there, which is that like okay, so Rick Kelly's be- cringing, who's only introducing his kid to jazz or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I, I'm the bourgeoisie. Uh, um, <laughs> that's good. Uh, but the uh, cla- the classical music game, it's like, of course, kind of cringy. And like, I don't think it particularly feeds into the themes of the movie in, in, in an interesting way or a way I'm interested in talking about much today. However, yeah. at one point they play a uh, noise rock song to interrupt it. And then they show the funny games, the, the funny games title. And at the end of the movie, they do the same thing. And, and it's fucking rad. Um, I, I imagine yeah. in a theater. This, that is, would... this has been that's a part of this movie that has been copied by like Cabin in the Woods is a very like common one that's cited but like that idea of like the uh the title card appearing on screen accompanying with like a jolt of loud music or loud noises in like giant letters is like even tv shows there's some tv show that i was like every time they did a title card for location it was this giant font with company with a loud noise and i'm like huh all right uh random marvel show trying to do funny games in a weird way it's uh yeah it it feels like he's trying to co-op some of that tarantino stylishness but just for for a moment but it's 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 sort of indicating that the movie is trying to be like a, a punk subversion which you know, yeah we'll, we'll get to that but i had my own version hipster version of that where they started playing scream noise rock and there's it's not clear if they're screaming in any particular language or if they're just making like weird guttural sounds which is like a trademark of noise music and i was like the boredoms and i was like no lightning bolt <laughs> no naked city it's like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> and then you just you just throw on Leaf House by Animal Collective. <laughs> Have you ever listened to the Boredoms? I haven't. It's no. it's it rules. It's it's a lot like that kind of music. Um, it's not an everyday kind of band, but the Boredoms rule. Um, but yeah, the I, I also wanted to sort of uh, dispense with some of the the bourgeois stuff, but we definitely need to talk about the concept of um like. Uh, upper middle class like politeness at some point in this yeah, episode so which is yeah that is huge that part thing. i th- i think the i think one thing that's interesting is like the general misogyny of the nuclear family which in theory like it allows this evil to come into the house i think that 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 has some place to to talk about and, and the general politeness or not you know not knowing how to just be like no and then the way that like yeah, I, I, that's definitely what we're talking about. So I will say, like, the part of the theme that really got to me, and I think still works, is actually more on the horror element. And like you, Peter, I love a lot of very gory movies. Like, and there's there's gory movies that I like simply because I think we talked about this, like, for the Dawn of the Dead movie that like the the quickness and the at some point the like um, scope of the violence uh and i feel this way about like face off like there's a, a a weird relaxing quality to like yeah i'm gonna watch this movie and just watch some people get torn to shreds for the night and like that has like like you know that's not my everyday thing but there's like um not a relaxing but like an energetic quality to those types of movies so i i'm definitely not someone who is going to sit here and say that like or even think like not not even with a sense of guilt like i'm not gonna sit here and say like it's my guilty pleasure to like violent unho you know gory movies i like a lot of movies that are violent gory and i hate a lot of them but that's more not because they feature gore usually it's because they're shittily made movies so 
like that part of it isn't necessarily like something that like the scold component, but I do think there's three themes in there that actually the ending and everything else, it works fantastic for me. The first one is something that kind of was the reason I was avoiding funny games to begin with Peter, which I was avoiding it. And also the reason it was on my list to begin with is it because I thought it was going to be this brutal, violent cinematic experience, right? Like there's, there's some people who, when you mention the concept of we, we've talked about that with martyrs, right? Like, like people are just like, no, thank you. Absolutely not. Not going to be doing martyrs. Um, and because they just are like, I know that that level of violence is is not for me and I'm not interested in it. And that is 100% um, – that is 100% fine, right? That they, they feel that way. I'm not that way. I like I like Inside. I love Martyrs. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of those violent things that I like. But it is this weird like – game that I'm, pardon the pun, that I play with myself, uh, which is like, I really want to see it, but will it be too much for me this time? Like, I, 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 I'm not watching a Serbian film just for, that everyone says is a shitty movie with horrific violence, but like, when people are like, yeah, Sallow's tough to watch, but it is like a really rich art film with some interesting themes. Like, I watch Sallow, right? Um, because I, I do have an... I, I'm not opposed to watching the straw dogs or the extreme horror because that that is something I enjoy seeing coupled with the fact that I feel a little bit like uh, this isn't quite it, but some idea of like, ooh, is this gonna get me? It's gonna make is this gonna get me all scared? Is it gonna be too much for me? It's like a weird game I play with myself in some ways. So when I watched this movie and I was expecting that, and instead of both the reason I wa- I would watch a movie like Funny Games in my head um, and the reason I avoid for a little bit watching a movie like Funny Games when all of that was stripped away and I was, w- one of the things this movie does really well is it has the it basically shows no violence or gore on screen that's occurring. It only shows the aftermath of the violence. So in some ways it was giving me theoretically what I would like out of a movie like a strangers, you know, the, the, the crazy kids who go and torture this family in this extremely brutal ways, which is again, a model for so many different horror movies that I like or enjoy, or I've seeked out based on that premise, except that it was taking away both the thing that I theoretically am watching the movie for, and also the thing that I am claiming that I would want that I do, that, but also like I'm kind of lying to myself about that's the part I don't want to see. So in in some ways it was giving me what I wanted, like and, and what you want when you avoid this movie that it's taking away the brutal imagery of the violence occurring, telling the same type of story, bleak, desperate, brutal story, and leaving you with just the aftermath of violence to deal with. So. Right there, because of the way that I this ended up on my movie list to begin with and my experience of watching it, like it was in some way like something that I, as a film goer, had to reckon with. That recognizing that like I was the thing that I secretly wanted to watch was taken away from me, and that I secretly said I didn't want to watch was taken away from me, and now I'm just left with just the sadness, just the brutality, just the aftermath of these horrific violence and the implications of it. 
like, how does that make me feel as a film goer? So right there, there was something like that was speaking somewhat directly to me, not as an indictment, but something that like personally I wanted to spend a lot of time chewing on. Like, oh, I, I am, I am sort of being called out for, for saying for like, I, like you called my bluff in some ways, right? Like I claim that this is why I was avoiding it. It's also the reason I, I sought it out. And now that I'm left with just the, like, I had no fun watching this movie. It doesn't mean I don't think it's a good horror movie, but like, it's not the, the fun. Like I would call some of those brutal horror movies as like fun movies. And it took away all the fun and left me with just the brutality. So I'll stop there and I have a couple other themes that I think work well in this movie outside of that stuff. But like that that part of whether that was directly the intended message or one that just happened to resonate with me was like, fuck, yeah, he's doing something that, uh, you know, impacted me, made me think about the way that I was seeing movies. Yeah, yeah. And like I said earlier, like I'm more positive on this movie than I was the the original movie. I just saw your star rating. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I did actually enjoy this exercise this time. And, you know, partially just because the context of doing it for the show, like having to think about what the th- what the themes are and how I f- how I feel about violence and actually having to answer those questions and, and actually get a chance to talk about them like that that was that was more fun because sometimes the show adds adds a bit of quality to movies or reduces a bit of quality where I'm like well I get to talk about this that's gonna be that's nice uh, the the you're, you're right the movie both I think it actively tries to take away any fun you might have. Uh, while you're watching. And then kind of ask you why you'd be, like, just recognize, like, the part that you have that you would normally describe as the fun part of these movies is missing. So, is it as fun? But you're, but what I, I I think it's more messy than that, and to give Haneke credit, he at times teases the audience to be like, give you a piece of what you were looking for. So the fact that the boy is able to escape, and we get yeah. they like sort of you know Laurie Strode getting chased kind of sequence of a little boy escaping to the house and hiding, and oh, we found the shotgun. Maybe I and I knew I knew this was a shot for shot remake. I knew the boy wasn't going to end up blowing away all these people, and at the end of the movie, it was going to be like, hey. This is why you should keep a gun in your house. Like I knew, I knew that the message of the movie was not pro gun ownership. Um, the the but that you get to you get to the final sequence and not the final sequence the, the pen penultimate sequence and we're in the room and we're playing sort of the final funny game so to speak, wherein uh, Michael Pitt has been like. Yeah, like there's kind of nothing you can do here to kill me. He's 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 escalated his his funny game. He's asking her to beg to God to live. There in this moment, she has been completely broken down. Her son, her son is dead. Um, her husband, I believe, has been stabbed off screen at this point. Like she, yeah, her husband, her husband's dead at this point. Yeah, and and she is no, no, no. Her husband's not dead. He's breathing, because... but he's been stabbed once or twice. Yeah, but um. But doesn't he grab the shotgun? No, she grabs the shotgun. Oh, yeah, sorry. Because yeah. it's sitting so he, on the coffee yeah. table between them, and she grabs the shotgun and uh, kills Peter. 
and blows him away against the wall in a very Tarantino. It's the the only on-screen, like, violence and gore that occurs, and... As you're about to say, it's the only thing that he takes back. Yeah, and it's 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 thrilling and it's very Tarantino-esque. It's it's actually unrealistically satisfying because that's not. Yeah, the it's like the work. shots at the end of Django Unchained when like that pistol blows people twenty feet in the air. Yeah, it's so satisfying. There's an incredible shot in Inglorious Bastards of um um uh, of uh, uh they're they're breaking hugo stiglitz out of jail and a guy shotguns a nazi and the nazi just blows clean across the room it's 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 that sort of that sort of deal it, it's um going back to like the 70s like extreme extreme sort of genre aesthetic when you know we could use we could sling people across the room with wires and have a million squibs go off on their chest and that was you know that that was what sam peck and paul wanted to do and we all we were all grateful for it um, and, uh, the, the moment when Peter gets blown across the room into the wall, blood everywhere, apparently at one audience, <laughs> this kind of leads me off in two directions, an audience at, uh, I think it was at Con or one of the big, you know, sort of artsy festivals, uh, clapped or wooed when that happened. Yeah. And then they were, the action is completely undone five seconds later. So like, it's not that he completely just like freezes you out. He gives you a taste of what you wanted, and then he t- actively takes it away so that he can it's slap a little you bit, on the wrist. And like, yeah, and like, well, but hold on, I would actually say like, we'll, we'll get into this way more, but like, it reminds me a little bit of Douglas by Hannah Gatsby, like where he, he she knows the rules of comedy so well that she's bringing you to this boiling point where you're about to get a punchline. And then that punchline is taken away from you. Whether you think one does the other one better, but like I would, I would say that like Haneke, if if violence and and gore is very close to like comedy setup punchline from a visceral reaction, I think Haneke's doing the same thing where he's like, I have put you guys through hell. Here is your punchline, and then much like happened in Douglas, like it. Either either doesn't come, or in this case, gets taken away. Yeah, yeah. It's um. Is is it the Douglas or is it the her first special? Because Douglas was the follow up, right? Because it's oh, I thought Douglas. What's what was the uh, Nanette? Sorry, Nanette. Yeah, because Nanette is the Nanette. one where she talks about her her sexual N- assault trauma. Yeah, um, Nanette's the one I'm talking about. Douglas Gatsby D- comedy special. Um, uh, and it's yeah, Nanette is the one I'm talking about. Douglas is her follow up that is a little more traditional from a comedy special but nanette is the one where she's like i'm i'm actively i know the rules of comedy i know how to make the audience laugh even when i'm describing really things and i'm actively gonna keep you from getting the punchline that your brain is like programmed to expect i don't want to get into nanette too too much but i feel like your comparison is so fucking apt that i have to um because one of the things about nanette is that she gives you people remember that as some sort of like spoken word and people particularly critics like sorry people that are critical of it remember it as some spoken word woman on a stage vagina monologues thing when in reality she gave us an amazing very cute very funny stand-up set with like yeah like very i I say cute like i mean like charming like it makes you like her a lot and trust her and want to go well she's very af like her performance and you know not not too shocking for someone who you know even even someone who, as she says, you know, has it's not easy for her to always be on stage, um, but someone who makes her living on stage, like she's she's a very affable 
presence. Yeah, and then um, with with that, and then she has that moment, the rug pull moment, which is just shocking, and it's you know it's it's very famous for a reason. Also, it came out like four or five years ago, so you should check it out. Um, hey, you should watch it in the end. Yeah, um, and then uh, and then <laughs> what I find interesting in that comparison is that. I don't agree with her central thesis that comedy is inherently dishonest or comedy inherently hides the truth or comedy is inherently um, a, a, a sort of um, a means of, of um, hiding things. Um, her like inherent her, her central thesis of that, I think, is like, I just don't I just don't agree with it because I think her like her set perfectly sets up the thesis like it's a perfectly well argued well argued thesis but I, I don't think the thesis at the end landed for me uh similar to the way that like i don't particularly think that like michael haneke makes a killer genre movie and at the end uh, and, and you know throughout but at the end he he directly rebukes you for wanting this sort of uh, results just as you know hannah gatsby is like the end of this joke is not a punchline the end of this joke is is me telling you a traumatic story and we're just gonna have to live with it a little bit yeah and i'm uh, and i'm never gonna let the air out like i'm yeah. never gonna make you feel that and i yeah. also think like asterisk i think i think hannah gatsby also realized she might have like maybe like uh overstepped her her thesis a little bit because she just came back and douglas is just like a normal comedy special yeah it's great I, it's funny as fuck but it, it was very weird to watch them back to back and be like Oh, I mean, I guess she kind of changed her. Well, maybe she just needed to make money, but maybe she just kind of changed her thoughts on comedy. I don't know. <laughs> well, so I actually, I, I'm going to mildly disagree with you on on both, and for the same reason is that I, which maybe gets into my next thing of the theme that really works for for what Haneke's doing in Funny Games, which is I think that it's not an either or premise, and I. Maybe this isn't what you were trying to say, but my sense is that that you took away from Nanette that Hannah Gatsby was saying that all uh, all comedy is dishonest. And I think what she was trying to say is that comedians have these techniques that are there a lot of time to diffuse trauma or to make the people comfortable with brutality. And in this this special, and sometimes that can be very damaging depending on how you're like wielding those tools. And in this special, you know, she kind of calls it out. Like, you are going to keep thinking that I am going to release the pressure and the valve and I'm just never going to do that. And you're going to react viscerally to that because you've been trained by this, this process to expect it. And I think Funny Games is doing the same thing. I don't think, I mean, Haneke said in a couple of the interviews, which I'm sure you read, like, I make violent movies. <laughs> like, the idea that he is anti-violent movie would not be accurate. I do think what he's saying is, is that too many movies are comfortable showing. Uh, and what, what group fits into that too many, I think Haneke and I would disagree on. But I don't disagree on the idea that too many movies are comfortable showing the violence and uncomfortable showing the impact of violence. I think that's a fair I, I criticism. I you, you know I would agree with that. Yeah. Like, I, and movies are better when they take a moment to sit and like people internalize movies are just better when people internalize what just happened and if yeah. what just happened is violence then you know you should definitely take a moment <laughs> so 
yeah, so I, I again, I think like the which which ones are not showing the impact of violence. Haneke and I, if we like drilled down to like you know what you th- what you think, or like if you can have a good movie that doesn't show the impact of violence, or what is even the definition of impact of violence. I think Haneke and I would definitely disagree on some of the the trappings of that statement, but I don't disagree with the idea that in the same way I don't disagree with like Hannah Gatsby that some comedy is used to cover over and 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 trauma and comedians can be very skilled at doing that i mean how in our real life how many people like uh what's his name uh the sleepwalk with me person i'm forgetting his name because that great bit about like yeah mike mike Birbiglia. and he has that great great bit about like the just joking guy at work right like or in, that you know at work or in your life who says these horrific things and somehow plasters them over with it's just a joke and then people are like well I guess we have to ban jokes and then some freedom some faux like right wingers are like that's banning speech we can't ban jokes and it's like all all everyone was trying to say was like just please don't be an asshole to people um, and I, I, I think that's the same thing here that like I, I do agree with the statement that too much violence is not Matt. It's why, like, even as a parent, as like much like Matt Damon, a father of two daughters, <laughs> um, I like I struggle sometimes with like what I show my kids by way of, of of violence. Like, is you know, is it better to show them? I think James Bond is kind of the platonic ideal is, uh, prior to some of the Daniel Craig stuff that. Definitely, definitely, maybe sometimes too much reckoned with uh, the violence and the killing a little bit too much. But even then, they're PG-13 movies. You know, Batman, you know, Batman, Michael Keaton throws someone off a cliff and it's like, yeah, the bad guy's gone and stuff like that. And that kind of like PG-13 sanitized violence where bullets don't don't cause much of an impact. And, and you're like, what about the social in, the, the, the social influences that made that man put on a Joker mask and want to blow up City Hall? Yeah, I need to know that. <laughs> I'm always I'm always like, uh, but like, I do think there is like sometimes a challenge between like, is it better to show my kid a brutal R-rated movie with violence? Uh, probably not. But is it is it is it equally for people of a younger age to see violence with no consequences? And and too much of our media is based on violence with absolute like not even the consequences of like, oh shit, that guy's head blew off. That is like. Uh, that is challenging. So I actually from think that perspective, yeah, you're. Oh, sorry, finish your thought. So I was just gonna say. So I think, like, from a if if we drill down past that, I think Haneke and I would like. What do we think about Quentin Tarantino? I will note he while he claims he doesn't make this about nat- natural born killers, and I, I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to rewatch any of the scenes. Oh, I fucked up as a research device. I completely forgot that I was gonna send you some clips to watch. But that's but I will say like from a natural born killers perspective, I actually think that's a the fact that he saw natural born killers. I didn't know this till you. I read this interview because I fucking hate, I love Oliver Stone or I love a lot some Oliver Stone movies. I love Oliver Stone in that I love maybe a third of his movies. Uh, like the movies of his that I love, I like love love. Um, I love JFK but I fucking, and I think he's insane. Yeah, I JFK. Yeah, JFK is fucking like one of my ten, one of the ten best movies I've ever seen. Like, if I ever did a sight and sound list, I think JFK would be on it. And I don't agree with anything that it says. But I, I love JFK, and the movie partway through is like, you know, who killed JFK? The gay. Oh, everyone. <laughs> I know it's it's uh, it's that Onion article 
do you remember that onion article where it's like it lists all the people in conspiracy theories and it's like uh you know mob cubans <laughs> lyndon b johnson the russians blah, blah blah it's like 30 things conspire to kill jfk um which which is great like that that is what that movie is but it's masterful filmmaking and i think if you get past like who cares what oliver stone thinks it's also a masterful idea of like conspiracy theories can thrive on literally nothing and um and that a lot of it is like uh less a little bit about oliver stone but more about jim garrison being a complete whack uh a compelling uh convincing uh wacko um i would also say that movie is probably kind of dangerous in that it uses it deploys kevin costner as a weapon to uh legitimize the fact that yeah oh yeah that, that this garrison guy was actually just like not well especially yeah well, i sick. mean that's when that's when he was america's dad too so like <laughs> like now it's probably a little bit more i don't i have never seen yellowstone but my, he looks very angry on the poster so i my, my sense i've heard yellowstone is succession but outside Oh, my sense is that he's like a conflicted anti-hero or, or patriarch. So maybe now if they watch it, they go, what's this guy up to? But in 1991, it was like America's dad said that. The mom, yeah, the, the, I, I, I found it more believable to believe that Kevin Costner had gills. Yeah, the and water drank his own pee. Um, but yeah, I, like, I think that's the thing about funny games that like I do. I do like think that that message and is and then the last thing on like themes that we haven't really talked about is that that I think resonates with me is that he wanted to make this as an American movie from the get go. It's why he made a when he was able to get a bigger budget in 1997. He had a budget of six hundred thousand dollars. He couldn't even go shoot in. He couldn't even fly the camera crew and stuff like that and to live in America in time to do it. So when you know on the ten year anniversary, but he always meant this for Americans. And I think one thing that gets lost a little bit in the 2007 interviews, um, but is present in the 1997 stuff that I found, is uh, especially because 1997 was this idea of like wars are over, but also we had the Persian Gulf War and also we're bombing all these people, was this idea as like American, like that the Michael Pitt, the Peter and Paul characters are also a stand in in kind of a hostile way for Americans having ultimately no personal stakes or worry about damage to themselves, but cause a lot of violence to other people in a way that seems from the outside, which he's obviously on the outside of American foreign policy in the 90s, as sadistic, which I think you and I, Peter, would agree is sadistic in a lot of ways. Like, And it's sadistic in the name of, for us, a little more righteousness um and for you know but but that like that is a part of it too and so he said that also also like culturally and the media specifically which is where funny games gets into a more reflects that very explicitly like the idea of america's involvement in violence against other countries or violence against his own systems is treated as a form of entertainment by the news where you are watching um, to to see the car crash and that Americans specifically were a, a nation of people that when they saw a car crash wanted to watch and see what happened to see like, oh, am I going to see a dead body more than they wanted to help because violence as a whole was incredibly intoxicating and that permeated all parts of our, our culture, which is a theme I 
also holistically agree with. Like, so those three things, like I said, the, the, the class stuff doesn't really work for me. The idea that, like, all violence in movies, I don't necessarily think that's Haneke's point, but... Uh, that any violence in movies is is re- reprehensible and that you should feel bad about it or stuff like that. Like, I don't agree with any of that stuff, but whether – and there's a lot that Haneke probably, like I said, would say, specifically, I hate this. And I would say, that's good. You're dumb. You should like that. Um, but that that those three themes – in a from a thirty thousand foot view, I really do align with and think the movie does a good job of both making me chew on them, and also making um, I, I think its point and its explicitly in how explicit its point is in those areas is is helpful to me. I love the fourth wall breaking and the fact that the character is constantly like, yeah, we know that you claim that you're not on these people's side, but why else are you watching this fucking movie if you don't want to see him get hurt? Yeah, yeah, and but I think the so to take a step back, something you were talking about earlier is like uh, uh, that uh, there's forms of media that can um, sort of sanitize violence, or they can use it as sort of a uh, exciting, thrilling gunfight, but can be a, a means of um, burying uh, the fact that like you know dead bodies are in the ground, there are now widows, <laughs> there are now widowers, um, and. Uh, that violence is very often in like American PG thirteen action movies, which you know don't exist as much anymore outside or, of, like, or the, the nightly news. Yeah, but the, on the news, absolutely in uh, in the era we're talking about, all the way back to um, the Reagan era, we treated war as um, as as something that would <clears throat> as something that would get good ratings and something yeah. that would be exciting to watch. I know we sound like a bright eyes song, but it's true. <laughs> Yeah, and there's there's a nobility to there's an inherent nobility to seeing it on the news and being like, well, those are our guys without the context of, um, you know, focusing on like, well, you know, refugees that are being displaced or yeah. how many innocent people are killed in carpet bombings and such thing, things, things that the news often is both um, of their own volition and also consciously removed from. Yeah. So, you know, wartime photographers and wartime uh, journalists are often... Um, deprived of the ability to get to uh, the, the choice areas or, you know, get ex- get access to go talk to refugees on the run. Or um, they're very often just like the U.S. military is like, we'll provide cover for you to see our see bombing attacks of an enemy yeah. camp, but not cover to see um, the uh, war hospital that we have four blocks away. Well, and then also and- more explicitly, like when those other pictures leak out, it splits the it's not like it's uh decried unanimously as like like even the abu Ghraib or like some of the vietnam pictures and stuff like that it it still splits the country uh along this idea of yeah but they're the bad guys and we're the good guys and so being the the perp- being the good guys and the perpetrators of violence means that any violence that we ultimately commit is justifiable yeah, but this this sort of de- I'm not my problem is not that we're being desensitized to violence yeah. by exposure to violent media. My problem is the that framing. like is that there's there's a lot of media that um there's a lot of media that we're exposed to every day and sometimes very very consciously so that um is uh, reinforcing conservative and even fascist ideologies um because we inherently find violence sort of enticing um whether or not we we politically agree with it which is why i've played like 
I don't know, man, like, I've played, like, a dozen Call of Duty games to completion, like, campaigns to completion, and I agree with approximately none of the politics (laughs) in any of the Call of Duty games that are post-World War II. Um, (laughs) So, like, I, uh, the, 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 um, this idea that, like, you know, this, even when there is violence or a recognition that, like, oh, an innocent family got blown up, it's sort of seen as, like, a means to an end in a lot of these pieces of media. It's not seen as, like, oh, well, is this cost worth paying for? For American imperialism and um I, I yeah I agree like bloodless films often uh I think are way more guilty of of committing the serious crimes which is like you know essentially American jingoistic propaganda than I think like American shock films are or European shock yeah. films uh, are because I think the European and American shock films no one would come away from a movie like Calvary or Martyrs and be like man violence, violence rules you come away from it if you even if you had no attachment to the theme like i know one of my friends saw martyrs when he was like 15 and puked uh i think he was just like yeah man they just kept doing gross stuff to her it was awful like um even people that walked away with no sense of what the themes of the movie were um didn't didn't gain some sort of like special uh some sort of uh special erotic connection to it or something i think that like that very often, if a mil- if a film wants something to be sexy, it ends up being sexy. And if a film wants something not to be sexy, it ends up not being sexy. Um, yeah. Movies can make that mistake. Uh, like for instance, what he was talking, what he was re- specifically referring to, Natural Born Killers, which is a movie I appreciate more than I like. But that is a movie uh, that I wanted to talk about a little bit today because it it is you. He called it out specifically, and he's saying this isn't you know the the the, the only example. But he's saying, like, this is a movie that tries to use fascist filmic techniques, fast cut, stylish, stylistic camera, stylish camera work, big goofy musical moments. Like, it tries to use all these fascist film techniques to assert itself against fascism. And he asserted that it failed. I haven't seen the movie in long enough that I, I could really say. I watched a few clips online just to sort of remind me of the aesthetics of the movie, the very, like, purposefully garish aesthetics of the movie. But I feel like a one that we could probably talk about maybe a little bit more readily is the Sniper movie in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. So the Sniper movie in Inglorious Bastards is um, a propaganda film that they put together about a real-life sniper hero, you know, for the Nazis. The context is important, right? Um they put together, and I think Eli Roth, who uh, actually shot it um, and created it and edited it and made like a whole little 15-minute action movie, um, enough for the, the film, basically. Um, I believe Eli Roth actually yeah, made that little, that little, that, that, uh, little piece of, of faux-fascist filmmaking. And the point is, actually, they were looking at American World War II films, and they were saying, like, a lot of these are just straight up propaganda because unlike during vietnam we made one movie during vietnam called the green berets which i keep coming back to because i find it fascinating that they made a fucking john wayne piece of propaganda <laughs> during vietnam yeah and then like every well vietnam well past the point it. people were even like iffy on it and we're also like every vietnam movie is anti-vietnam <laughs> except for this one basically um maybe hamburger hill i don't know um I can't remember. I'm sure there's a lot of movies about the boys tried their best that ends up being somewhat fascist. Yeah, yeah. But World War II movies, and they have, Uh, uh, you know, a a bit of a pass, um, uh, is uh, many of them have that sort of filmic technique where there's just, like, a lot of, there's a a lot of just, like, um, scrubbing over 
uh, violence in favor of, of speed and excitement. And, you know, speed and excitement for the 1930s and 40s, right? Um, and uh, the in that movie, they show it, and it's supposed to be, while we're watching it, we're supposed to be kind of, like, sucked into this film, but also find it kind of, like, hilarious and, and gross because it's about a fucking Nazi shooting American soldiers and getting, uh, you know, X amount of kills in one particular battle. And uh, that sort of like that sort of is like I think like a pretty successful attempt to try and use fascist filmmaking in the middle of a film that's like through and through uses technique after technique. He uses a million forms of language, he uses a million type of characters yeah. to express why fascism is evil. Like one of the things that's great about Inglorious Bastards is like a grab bag of Quentin trying all these different ways yeah. to tell you that Nazis fucking suck. And one of the ways that he tells you that Nazis fucking suck is he's like, hey. We should not resemble Nazis. We should not. We should not feed into propaganda. We should not sit here and and soak in uh, the the the, um, the deaths of the deaths of people uh, abroad in imperial conflict uh, as like fun, cutesy entertainment. Um, even if we think we're the good guys. So like, I, I kind of, you know, maybe I agree with Michael Haneke that like, you know, Oliver Stone tried and failed to do something noble. Um, but I think like the real example that like, I think would, would, would have, um, maybe clicked more for people is that movie within a movie of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's hundred percent right. And again, I don't remember, I remember like not liking natural born killers, but I definitely wasn't like, this is... You know, uh, this is uh, accidentally fascist. I think I really just hated the aesthetic and I just kind of I saw I think I saw when I was in high school and I fucking hated it. And I was so excited for it because it like it I was like post discovering, you know, Tarantino and ultraviolent action movies. And I was like, I felt like I was pretty primed for it. I I actually think something that relates to the World War Two part that I'll make very quick because it's only it's like very tangentially related. I still remember. So I had this great history teacher in high school when I was a sophomore named Mr. Noble, and he was a Korean War vet. And he was the first history teacher that I ever had that like was starting to get to what you'd get from college level history teachers. Like he treated us like adults. He was more than willing to talk about. Not to the levels like my my college history professors, but like that that America was not perfect, that things didn't always turn out all right, or like there's a there's a lot of American history that has been peppered over, and so like from that perspective, it was a, a, a subject I always liked, but getting a refreshing take on some of it, while also I think some blind spots specifically for him around the military, and I remember. We, when we covered World War II, I was really into Godzilla, which we'll talk about more later this year. And there's a Godzilla movie called – it came out in 1992 called uh, King – or sorry, Godzilla yeah, – called King Kong. Called, <laughs> called Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Watching that movie as a high schooler was, was very uh, surprising to me because it has these – they go back in time to World War II and it has these scenes of uh, Japan – you know, people in World War Two, and the Americans are depicted as like you know, evil and cunt, like you know, uh, and cheat. All the different like uh, you know, more barbaric and didn't care about their own people and all these sort of things. And I brought that up in a class about the idea of like you know, when I was like, it was in, when he was talking about like some American films, and I was like, it was really interesting because it was the first time I'd ever seen. Uh, World War II perspective that didn't just show, you know, the American people as like unimpeachable heroes, and 
Uh, and that like the idea that other countries, like I know this seems so obvious, but that other countries in their remembrance and the way that they talk about those same experiences doesn't match the what we teach people. Like they're not like the Americans were, you know, the Americans were the hero and we were the assholes. Like they, they have a much different perspective. And he, it was the only time that, like, through all that introducing these gray areas, that he was not interested in that discussion. Um, he was like, he was like, well, why, why wouldn't they be depicted as heroes? And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not saying they are or aren't, but like, you know, interesting that a, a Japanese film that's recounting the time of World War II, you know, isn't necessarily like. And he's like, okay, I'm not trying to sh- – like, I still remember I'm like, I'm not quite sure what you're trying to get at, but why don't we just move on? And it was the only time <laughs> he was an asshole in like – this is like, you know, they teach World War II very late in the, in the in the history class stuff. So I was like, oh, weird. And it wasn't until like later on I'm like, oh, I get it. He – it's not that he didn't understand me. It's that like he just didn't understand the concept that we – there was something to impeach about American soldiers fighting in the Pacific theater in World War II. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that idea is is so shocking to a lot of people um, that uh, it, it even is demonstrated in, like, reviews at the time. You could read about uh, the Pacific, um, of the, the TV show The Pacific. Yeah. Where, like, even a few years ago, like, not that long ago, people were like... Yeah, but it's missing those moments of sweeping heroism that that were in Band of Brothers, and it's like, yeah, that's the point. We were that's we were Steven Spielberg was getting self conscious about the about the fact that Band of Brothers is like was like too full of just like rah rah shit. Um, he wanted to, he wanted to make a show about the trauma that people went through. To your point, my guess is I didn't read an interview that Haneke probably doesn't like Inglorious Bastards, and I would say that that is actually an example of to your point, like. Showing the implication of violence and kind of doing what Haneke uh, is in some ways trying to get at with this movie. But, you know, I think the broad strokes of like, we are too, you know, the 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 concept of a movie that's like, I'm not going to really dwell on the violence at all. Like, things are going to happen out of frame. You're not going to be even sure explicitly what happened. You're just going to hear the reaction. And you're only going to be for, there's too many movies where you only get to deal with the actual act of violence in a lot of times in an exciting form and i'm gonna make a movie that's kind of geared on paper towards the people that want to see that and i'm only gonna deal with the aftermath i think that is a very compelling concept to take a movie and again i i think we'll we'll get into it here in a second when we get into the movie i don't think he's trying to be subtle with it like you can't have all the fourth wall breaks that he's having and being like you know, well, he's not being subtle enough. Like, he's trying to let you know what he's doing. And as someone who doesn't necessarily care about subtlety in filmmaking, and I know you don't either, Peter, um, whether it works for you in this one or not is a different different story. But, like... Subtleties for dorks. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that the he's... the most subtle people a big fucking noogie. I like that he's trying to say, like, yeah, you were expecting the fun. No fun. No fun for you. Uh, yeah. Which makes sense for, you know his heritage to say something like that <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's uh i i love white ribbon i think white ribbon is fan fantastic um 
100% think that he has a, he probably has some sort of cultural reason as, a, as an Austrian to want yeah. to, uh, yeah. to want to speak to this. Yeah. But let's, 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 let's dive in. Like, yeah. Let's talk about like what the movie actually does, because like, I think it actually as a horror movie works pretty works really damn well, well yeah. in a way that would probably frustrate Haneke when I, when I talk about it. Um, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> let's talk more about Funny Games US. 2007. Funny Games US. I can do a quick recap. It can be very quick. So, Tim Roth, Naomi Watts, a kid. What's a kid? Do we even know their kid's name? Uh, I, I'm comfortable calling them husband, uh, the, wife, the, kid. The kid. I, I feel good about calling him the kid too. They um, are going to. Uh, they rented a house on the on the lake. I want to say lake for the weekend. And uh, they're going up with their kid, who they're guessing opera noises and blah, 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 opera sounds on the way up. Uh, They get there, and they're immediately introduced to a neighbor that I think is renting them the house, or is they – I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And this other person is with him by the name at the time he gives – Peter, played by Michael Pitt, who's like, hey, this is someone who's staying at our house over the weekend, which is going to be very important later – and this is, you know, this is the, these guys are renting my house. Hi, you know, polite society. Who's going to go golfing? We're going to do some boating. Have a great weekend. Uh, and then later he takes Who's his kid out. To a few lives. Then later he um, goes out uh, to the to take his kid out to show him the boat and what they're going to do over the weekend. Do a little sailing. And meanwhile, Michael, uh, well, not Michael Pitt, actually, first. Um, Brady Corbett, I think is the Yeah, Brady Corbett. Who plays um, I've been calling him Peter. He, yeah, um, that's, that's what he's in the cast Peter and Paul. They also identify as Beavis and Butthead. Tom and something else. Yeah, they, uh, but in the cast list, they're, they're Peter and Paul. So I'm, I'm comfortable, feel comfortable saying that. So um, he comes over and says, hey, we're, you know, you, you, my husband met my, Friend, we're staying with these these other people, and hey, we just need to borrow four eggs. Would that fine? And you know, there's there's this long like we're gonna probably talk about the horror sequence of like him almost purposely, but like not in a way that is so obvious to call out. Breaks the eggs. He demands more eggs and impugns her politeness by acting like she can't give up more eggs, and then breaks those eggs. Knocks her cell phone into the sink, and and is like. Uh, you know, I need more eggs. And she's like, you know, you're doing this on purpose. Like, just get out of my house. And meanwhile, uh, Michael Pitt comes and starts like, oh, so sorry for my friend. He's an asshole. Hey, those are some great golf clubs. Look, I'm so like, you know, and Michael Pitt's a handsome, even though he's very handsome in an evil way. But, you know, he's just like, come, like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I just want to go hit one ball, one ball. And he goes out for a little bit and then. They come back, and now um, now Paul is being a lot more aggressive in, like, I need those eggs, and you're being a jerk, and blah, 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 to the point that she get, he slap, she slaps him out of frustration for refusing to leave. 
And then around this time, Tim Roth and the boy comes home. And he she's like, hey, get these people out of my house. And again, he just met them. And I was like, no, they're nice people. I, again, assuming that my wife is incorrect um, and has misinterpreted the situation, he first gives Michael Pitt a chance to explain. Uh, and that turns sinister very, very quickly to the point that he grabs a golf ball, hits him in the leg. And now it's very clear that, like, they're messing around with him to what capacity they don't know. The next kind of big reveal as part of these games is that he has the golf ball in his hand. The first game is like, why would I have a golf ball? Didn't I go hit this golf ball? For them to find out that um, – and also they noticed the dog wasn't barking. For them to find out that the dog has been murdered and tumbles out of the car uh, limp. Um, meanwhile, uh, they're starting to do the fourth wall – breaks where like michael pitt when they go look for the dog is looking back at the screen and and smiling like ferris bueller style about what you're gonna find uh, so then they start these games that if i'm being honest peter uh, as much as i like the movie i just don't think they put that much work into the game aspect of it because it's a lot of like counting and uh guessing game stuff but... it feels improvised like there's no real point structure yeah. I, I think it would have benefited from, like, a very, like, if you're going to do a made-up game, like, like rollerball, like, really let us know the rules or something. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they don't do a rollerball situation. That's on Haneke. Um, but they uh, they are just set, effectively just messing with them. And what the parents aren't sure of is, like, what is this messing leading to? Is it two kids who are out having fun and don't know when to stop? And so they're being very reserved. They're trying to, like you know, plead for their son's life and things like that. But it gets even more sinister when they're um, Paul or Peter keeps calling Paul uh, overweight. Tubby is the specific term he keeps using and notes that even though uh, Naomi Watts is so much older, she is, you know, she's keeping it tight. Um, and so they put a bag over the son's head for her to go down to her underwear to show how to compare um how how much uh how skinny uh she is compared to to uh paul um or am i confusing is it peter paul paul is not michael pitt right michael pitt is paul god peter is uh okay. is brady Clark. so yeah so to compare to peter peter's the one who keeps getting called tubby and they're telling these stories about why they would act like this and blah 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 so there's all this sinister stuff at some point you know again there are these moments of violence and all you hear is kind of like like the like, Tim Roth gets thrown on the ground. You hear some screaming. You hear hear a bang. You see people crying or being shocked or horrified. You don't really see what's actually happened. You just see people uh, reacting to it. So at some point, um, the the boy kind of gets away, uh, but is being being chased by Paul by Michael Pitt. And uh, he thinks he gets away. He goes into this other house. He finds out that this other house was like the neighbors um, that we saw at the beginning of the movie who are dead. Um, and he finds a shotgun there. And uh, Paul confronts him and is like, go ahead. Load, you know, shoot me. You got to cock it. And then you can pull the trigger. Um, and then we cut to him bringing um, the son back and being like, Hey, now we have two shotgun shells to play with. This will add to the dyna dynamics of the game. Uh, gives Peter the gun and says, we're hungry. Let's go make some some food. Paul walks into the kitchen in this, like, you know, very relaxed, lackadaisical. I'm going to check what's in the cupboard, check what's in the fridge. What kind of cutlery do I have for this? And meanwhile, we hear a shotgun blast and hear just 
not even screaming, just wrenching. Uh, and so, like, well, and then we have, like, a good two to three minutes of him just um, just making food or looking for food. Um, and he they walk back in, and you see blood on the TV. You see blood on the wall. You don't know what's happened for a little bit. And then they're like, ooh, this got too far. Sorry about that. We're going to leave. Uh, sorry about that. Have a good day. And then as um, they leave, and that's when you just see uh, Naomi Watts' character kneeling while the NASCAR race on TV plays and notice that the, the son's body is limp in front of the TV. Um, and it, well, we master like this whole scene is just masterful, both by direction, how long it lasts, and the performances. But like, it's a good how te- pained the performances, how pained like, the performances. Yeah, like it's like every t- every level. It's like ten minutes of her crying to like, oh shit, I need you know the first thing I need to do after like like I just need this fucking TV off. And, like, how painful it is. Because she's still tied up and bound to get over there. And then going to their husband and, like, just, like, having a moment where she's trying to be the, like, but we have to do something. And he is just, like, inhabiting, in like, unknowable inhuman amounts of pain. Um, and, like, you know, what's the point of this? But she's still committed to, like, let's try to dry off the cell phone. You have a cell phone. Let's try to get out. So there's, there's like, 20 or 30 minutes where... You know, they're kind of they're they're doing these escape attempts that are limited by the fact that they don't have access to a car. They're in the middle of nowhere. They don't have cell phones and neighbors houses are all like shut off and their gates are locked and stuff like that. So eventually, you know, you think that maybe Naomi Watts is going to be able to escape. She sees a car and then we essentially cut back to uh, back at the house after like 30 minutes of art is someone you be able to get away. And they're right back in the same situation with Peter and Paul being like, well, good morning. Yeah. And one thing that we should note is that early on, they made a wager with them that they're going to wager that you'll be dead by 9am. And, and uh, that's what they're going to place a bet on. And you guys can bet that you will still be alive. Um, so now it's morning. They're, t- they're <laughs> like getting the last four eggs and other like insult injuries. One part I missed apologies. One of the first things that they make, uh, they make Naomi Watts do is go to the neighbor's house, one of the other neighbor's house and introduce, uh, Michael Pitt and say, he's staying with us. He might, you might see him around and stuff like that. And you realize that that first interaction was them playing the funny games on this other house that you find dead later. So set almost setting up the next sequel or the next, uh, from, from their perspective, like targets of their, their, uh, torturous intentions. At this point, they, you know, they still have the shotgun, and that's when Naomi Watts is able to get it. Um, I think right after, to your point, killing Tim Roth, uh, again, happens off screen. So there's a there's a lot of, like, thrusting and noises, and you're not quite sure when he died, but they're, like, one person left. And he, she gets the gun and kills Peter, and Michael Pitt is, like, freaking out, and you have, you're supposed to have that moment of release. And he's like, shit, 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 where's the remote? And he gets the remote, and he rewinds it. Uh, back to before she got the gun and notes. Um, uh, let's let's call that a first take and try it again. Relieving that part. Obviously, it doesn't happen this time. And then pretty soon they have her on a boat. They're talking about uh, communication through a black hole and kind of ignoring her. And at some point, they just kind of look at like at this point, fate sealed. You know that not only will this person not escape, but the filmmakers even will the you know the filmmaker will not allow her to escape. So fate is sealed. She's on this boat while they are basically kind of done with the games, but getting on to their next their next stop. 
at some point they're like, yeah, it's getting hard to do this. And also we have to kill her by nine anyways. And there's an unceremonious uh, just throw of a bound Naomi Watts out, off the boat. They don't even look back. It's 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 extraordinarily chilling. Um, and then, yeah, they arrive, they dock, and they go to the house that were set up by Naomi Watts. Uh, asked to borrow some eggs, and Michael Pitt looks at the camera and the funny games, both the hard thrash metal music uh, and the title flashes back off, uh, back on the screen. And that is those goofy games. That's the way they had their goofy games with Alice. Hopefully, I'm what a wicked game you play, Aaron. Yeah, these are different than Chris Isaac's Wicked Games. <laughs> it all comes back to Chris Isaac, really. Yeah. Um, these are games without frontiers as well. Agreed. Um, yeah, thank you for doing the recap, Aaron. Um, yeah, I think we're good. Good night, everyone. Good. <laughs> are you trying to funny games the audience? <laughs> I haven't murdered most of our audience. I won't say none. But by 9 a.m. tomorrow, being that says this is a recording, it's a perpetual tomorrow. Mm, You never know. We're all in someone's tomorrow, right? Never say never. Um, I don't know what that means. Um, So jumping back to something we talked about earlier, but I feel like is needs to be kind of the central part of our discussion is the concept of I sort of pointed at this with the, the, the bourgeois politeness. Um, that you, because you're so afraid of being inhospitable, um, that you actually, uh, act at, at a detriment to yourself and your own family. And the fact that like Naomi Watts does humor this for a bit. And then when her husband comes into the house, he, when George, uh, comes into the house, he sort of like disregards her in a way. Not, not in a way. He's like, like, no, no, no. And he lets, he lets Michael Pitt explain first, like yeah. He, like, restarts the conversation. Yeah. Like, he's, like, he allows, yeah, you're right, he allows Michael Pitt to restart the conversation. Like, all right, let's get off to a better standing instead of just jumping in with his wife. And or even to- letting her go, hey, tell me what you're trying to say and why you want them out. Like, you know, he walks in, his wife's like, we need to get, have them out of here immediately. And it's not like Michael Pitt is explaining himself because of what she has said. He goes to him first. Yeah, yeah, and, like... This is very much sort of. Um, it's, Hold on, can we can we push back there for a second? Can you imagine a situation where you walk in and your wife has like two men in the house? She's like, "We need to get them out of here right now," and looks frazzled. And you're like, "Look, I've basically never met these people, but can you please explain what's what's that? Why is my <laughs> wife acting like that? Like I, I just you're... like that that even just that concept of not being like, get the fuck out, and I'll find like it's so." Uh, I mean, it is it is very much the like hold on the men are talking dynamic that I think the yes. movie is very specifically getting at. But you're, you're it just seems at, so foreign too. You're pointing at something that I couldn't help but think about while I was watching this movie, and it's 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 the politeness factor of the the politeness and the whiteness. So um, there's a properness to the way they look. They're dressed in, in the they have golf. Uh, they're wearing all white. They have. Uh, golf gloves on um they're supposedly having a golf game with them tomorrow uh, we find out later that that was just like a means of cover um for that one guy who apparently he was like they they threatened him to the point that he was willing to play along with their game yeah um and uh it's 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 the fact that 
these guys are as violent and vicious as, you know, a uh, Michael Myers or the family from The Strangers. However, uh, they operate within the confines of white civility and yeah. can literally go house to house around a lake. Uh, uh, just uh, the fact like, the fact that I'm here means I'm supposed to be in your house. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that I have access to your house means that I can do you no harm. Yes, yes. The fact that I'm standing in front of you and I'm a white young blonde boy, um, and like Michael Pitt. We need to talk about him a little bit because, like, Michael Pitt is so fucking good in this movie, um, and he represents this. He represents this sort of like waspy, clean cut East Coast sort of uh, rich kid who can get away with anything. These rich kids that get off on uh, with a slap on the wrist for rape charges, like, yeah, he, you know he exactly. reminds me of uh, someone once called like, "It's nice that Cillian Murphy has aged." Um, a little bit away from his ridiculous good-looking looks that he can play good guys now. <laughs> because, like, I do think Michael Pitt has that same dynamic. Like, he's he's very attractive, but he's so good-looking that it's in, like, you can only see sinisterness there. <laughs> it, it, he has a prim properness, and I think he's done a good job in his career playing against his type. He definitely... Uh, has had some career stumbles because he he is is apparently he's apparently very difficult to work with they literally rewrote the entire main arc of uh boardwalk empire to kill him early and hannibal Uh, too had to recast him yeah yeah because he was just too difficult to work with and that's why he's done a bunch of like straight to video sort of uh, or low budget sort of crime movies because you know those movies are always looking for talented actors that can come in and do six weeks and you know those that kind of actor um, do you think it's because he keeps funny gaming all of his co-stars i have to imagine that the level of unprofessionalness has to be funny games level um he's like i'm gonna ruin your movie by 9 a.m tomorrow that'll be a fun game we can play (laughs) i i do want what's what's very interesting is that when i went to go look i trouble i've I've heard that like but it's not something like if there's specific like uh allegations or if it's just that like he's just kind of an asshole like no one's either come forward yet or i couldn't find him documented even his wikipedia page which normally has like Something in the personal life section about like um, controversies, controversies, or even an innocuous like in his career, like was fired from so and so. It's like left, uh, you know, left had his part replaced in the third season. Like there's, there's nothing that I can find to, that points to anything specific. So this could very much be an episode. I'm just saying based on his his history of getting fired from TV shows, uh, where a year from now we're like, of course he's a terrible human being. I'm so sorry we didn't know at the time. But for what it's worth, like I can't find any specifics besides being difficult to work. Yeah, it might be a method actor thing. It might be like a Jared Leto thing where like it – if, if he stars character. He, he sings in a bad band too <laughs> stop bringing your demos bud I, I i don't know this i don't know this for a fact does michael pitt have a band it seems like he would have a band no but jared leto does yeah jared leto does definitely has a band um, i have the terrible joke that it's not going to fit anywhere else in my entire life so i'm going to put it in this episode of this podcast which is um do you think when Bruce Willis heard the song We Don't Talk About Bruno, that he was like, I know, it's a huge problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. That joke is Is that the response you wanted? Yeah, sure. We move on. A a light chuckle? A recognition? I think that's definitely all it deserves. Um, <laughs> that was polite at best. We and it's it is factually accurate, which is what I look for in jokes. Yeah, that he we don't talk was, uh, about. Well, I mean, I we're talking about actors, singers, songwriters, Peter. Like it's <laughs> gonna come out when we don't talk about Bruno is still in the cultural conversation. So I, I don't have a better time to ever bring it up ever. Yeah, culture. Uh, it, it's in like a not geist. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like the. It's it was like number three on the Billboard or whatever broke the Let It Go record. I'm talking about Bruno. The oh yeah, Bruce that, Willis that part album. is definitely not Return of Bruno. Case, yeah. <laughs> whatever you call the opposite of the Zeitgeist, it's yeah, it would be uh, the Zeitgeist, right? Because it have to start with an A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't remember what I was saying, but um, why would you? It's, yeah, it's a good movie. Um, uh, but uh, Michael, we're talking about Michael Pitt a, being a very good actor. Yeah, Michael Pitt is is terrifically believable. I imagine maybe it was some like method acting malarkey. That's that's my best conjecture, which you know is really hard to like. Uh, general unprofessionalism is really hard to pin down. Um, but he's played a, a slew of challenging, uh, sometimes violent characters in his career, um, who are loners and and and, and sort of outlaws. And I imagine. I imagine that this sort of role, like he gravitated it, not just because it's like a, you know, he got, it was a chance to be a nut job, but because Michael Haneke uh, and Brady Corbett both uh, have have uh, a lot of experience within like the um, international art scene. I think crave sort of the recognition of of, of the uh, Sundance Con kind of crowd. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and working, this is post dreamers, Michael... right? Or is this is this is this post dreamers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dreamers was two thousand five, so. Yeah, he he was working with like a lot of these these big sort of European auteurs that were trying to make their break their English language breakthroughs and such. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he has this fantastic like he actually like looks like a member of my family almost. Like he has like this like this like blonde, blue eyed kind of affability that like I think can like um, be be uh, weaponized in a way that's hold like on, uh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> What? I have it written in my notes that uh, asked Peter <laughs> if uh, he didn't like this movie initially. Uh, this joke doesn't work because you've never seen this movie. But uh, if he if he didn't like this movie because um, the villain has the aesthetic of a Nazi youth and also reminds him exactly of him. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm nothing. I am nothing like either of these boys, despite being uh, well-reared or whatever you call it. Um, nothing like either of them. Not in the murderous sense. I just mean like... I, I Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, 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 just I never think... had a... I never had a troll... Uh, like a troll phase. I have a very like a direct impoliteness um, that's like secretly, secretly politeness. Yeah, uh, so this... I mean, on that note though, like... Not only is this recognizable to, like, our current fucking, like, if you've seen some great, like, essays by, like, Innuendo Studios, like, those, like, uh, uh, those QAnon manga, like, uh, videos that he does that are just, like, fantastic at, like, codifying, like, uh, where, like, Gamergate led to manga bros and, like, this kind of online thing of, like, post, post, post 
irony where even the person like uh, doing it doesn't know what they believe. They just know that it bothers other people like that. That part of it is incredibly relevant. But I would say like the thing that was really recognizable, it was like my um, my interactions with like bullies in childhood, like not bullies, like the, the kind that you had in your class and like knew well, but like. I still remember being bullied by, like, um, these two kids in, like, kindergarten who were, like, asking me if I still watch Sesame Street. And they were, like, second or third graders. Um, and then if I said, you know, I said yes, because I did. And it was, like, you know, they, like, would smile at each other and, like, look at me like, that's so stupid. It's for babies. And they would they asked me if I watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I said no, thinking that that would, you know, avoid whatever pain was coming back and they're like oh and then of course they looked at each other smugly again and like what i didn't realize is that like i couldn't answer right right like because but that still that attitude of like we're not like bullying you in the sense that we're like pushing you but we're just going to make you feel ill at ease with who you are as a person is like very recognizable to like what a lot of bullies are like yeah, yeah. The the idea that you're not necessarily uh, doing an outward attack, which these guys eventually resort to, it's that you're using the social niceties as a, as, as their first a weapon. Yeah, they're using the like sort of like, well, all I have to do is sort of make light implications with my eyes or sort of um you know ask something of you that is uh violating the social you know it, it's or maybe it's just on the right side of violating social norms yeah. in a way that like you know well, like you have to violate social norms more as a reaction and you're trying to figure out where you've crossed like if that that person's um on is borderline but my response to it by definition would need to be over the line so do i not respond and let them stay you know, treading that line between this is completely unacceptable and this is technically fine. Yeah, she identifies it. She spots it pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think some of that is because of the age difference, because they're like young men. Um, and like as a oh, like a, a white woman, like I think the one of the privileges that white women are allotted uh, sometimes is that they're allowed to... Um, call out boundary crossing with like men where they consider like violating their space. It's like one of the yeah. few priv- and it's like not a privilege. I don't think is necessarily allotted to like women of color. Yeah. Um, but it, it can't, but like rich white women are allowed to like call out like violating social boundaries in a way that like, I think that like, um, women of color are not necessarily. And that's not something that like, I'm not super comfortable like spending like a lot of time on, but it's, it's just something that I've, I've, I've read a lot and seen a lot is like, what white women have privileges that women of color don't, and white men yeah. have even more privileges than than the white women. Yeah. Um, but it's it's something worth calling out that there's like even within the sort of social class distinction here and the gender class, dis- there's a gender class distinction and a racial class distinction happening, and like the fact that these white men are just able to like trounce all over her, all over her and the, and ignore her sort of pleas to leave and it's still like weirdly within the bounds of just like okay this is a this is you know just a dis- a misunderstanding this is just a misunderstanding cuz like the the husband immediately jumps onto that point is like creepy in its own way because it's yeah. not Michael Myers standing at the door in a mask their mask is whiteness their mask is it, their uh, mask and the is fact that they're wearing like you know, white, like, they're golfers. Like, they have, they're wearing golfing attire with the gloves. Like, these are people who are on paper 
their intentions, at least by way of coming by in the middle of the day, are beyond reproach. Yeah, they're not coming by and knocking at midnight. They're not calling incessantly. They're coming after having, also, after having been semi-formally introduced, at least for a modern parlance, they've been formally introduced, which is, hi, these are our guests yeah. at the house, and, you know, you saw them on the way in, and you at least wave from the car. Like, in a, obviously, that's not a 1700s vision of being introduced, but that is that is the modern version of being introduced. Like, uh, for, I, I uh, their neighbor, Fred, or whatever, essentially did the version of, like, I can vouch for these young boys. It's 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 like weird, but not quite bizarre. Like it's right on that border, and like it may ha- gave me a thought that like these young boys could get away with more than Michael Myers in a mask ever would. Because oh Michael yeah, Myers, Michael Myers. Like <clears throat> there's a lot to say about the mask, and that that like Michael Myers not putting on a mask to hide who he is. Everybody knows he's Michael Myers. Like they know his name, they know his crimes. He is a very public crime record. Um, <laughs> That he he puts on the mask. Yeah, Michael Myers is known first and foremost for having a very public crime record. <laughs> he's, he's very shy, though. Yeah. That's the problem. Um, he doesn't come out during the day with a mask off just to be like, hey, uh, can I borrow your golf clubs? <laughs> can I borrow your steak knives? How many eggs you got? You definitely have plenty for tomorrow. You're no, going to I store on Monday. You're good. Well, that I mean, that is the but thing. The, but the so, thing is, Michael Myers is all. Is the last thing on Michael Myers. Michael Myers is like is supposed to be played as like he's insane to the point that like him putting on a mask is like him playing at like oh yeah normality. Like, why why would you be the love guru? That's a terrible character. Like, don't put that mask on. Like, just be yourself. You're saying you're saying Mike Myers shouldn't be. A, racist indian caricature uh you know what i'm i'm willing to i know i know in this world of cancel culture that i'm setting myself up for canceling but yes i think uh playing the love guru a racist indian caricature um was a misstep oh absolutely absolutely uh speaking of racism um the two the thing that neither of these boys is like outwardly racist there's no like coding that this family is jewish or the next family is jewish or like anything of that sort um it's 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 the fact that but the, the, i still was reminded of uh fascism uh and uh the alt writers because of that specifically what they as you just noted in like the the sort of like uh it's it's, it's a well-noted fact about the mega mega world which is that like they try, like, that's the khaki thing. Like, that's the khaki and polo thing. Yeah. Like, trying to hide behind reputability. And the only ones that, like, really, like, hide behind masks, like, mask masks, are, like, the true, like, Patriot Front kind of level guys. Yeah. Like, a lot of the a lot of these guys um, just have their faces out there. Um, <laughs> some of them are, are anti-maskers, which is, you know, a whole different extra part of it. But yeah. um, the casual way that they, like, deny reality, they're changing their names, they're lying, they're acquiescing to, like, social... They're trying to make you acquiesce to social rules that they have no means or they yeah. have no intention of following. Yeah. Like, that's... Like, yeah, well, oh, that's, well, I mean, don't that, you care about civility? Yeah. Don't you care about good being polite and what's proper? Don't you and then care once you about fall, that? Once you fall into the trap, it's too late. That is the, what's, it, what's interesting about this movie is, like, how much more relevant, at least by its portrayal of villains, it's gotten since it first came out or since since I first saw it. Like, 
you know, it's that line of like, why are you doing this and why not? Like, you know, one of the the hallmarks of kind of the alt right and the the manga bros and stuff like that is that like, like they they don't actually have a ethos. They don't have a moral structure. They don't really even have like beliefs. They just know who they want to hurt, and so they will take any position that is contrary to to other people to to make them angry or to hurt them, which is like the hell we've been living with with COVID in the last couple of years. Like like as much as people want to say like vaccine hesitant and stuff like that, like if you strip down the artifice at the end of the day. It's the fact that the people that they're against are the most are the people that are proponents of like mass or lockdowns or vaccines or whatever else it is that they have to that, that's why they have made the alternate. So now it's not just that these vaccines are bad because they don't actually care if the vaccines are good or bad or anything like that. It's now they're like, well, oh, you're saying that uh, we're being inconsistent because we've been vaccinating our children for other things? Tough luck, Florida's. You're not allowed to have any vaccine required. Like, the, they will destroy themselves or hurt themselves just for the point of harming others. Like, there's no, there's no ethics. There's no functionally worldview besides we're good guys or more, more accurately, other people are the bad guys and there are targets. And our goal is to is to frustrate them. <laughs> like, so from that perspective, it is like watching this is like seems just insanely relevant yeah and the the um playing games as if they actually have a means of survival despite the fact that they're bound and gagged most of this movie and like all that playing like they're actually playing on fair terms but they're constantly breaking the rules up until literally using remote to bend reality very much reminds me of the 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 um democrats still in congress who were like oh yeah uh like oh well you know that's not way the way things are done in the senate and you're like they threw out the rules a long fucking time ago dude like yeah. you gotta you, even you gotta even if you get a mild here. victory it will be taken away like you pass whatever law you want great like we saw how quickly trump like just undid a bunch of the like even mildly good stuff by the wave of the pen so like if you set yourself up to not defend like elections or also just piss off all the leftists by like not actually doing anything worthwhile, um, like you're going to lose. And then whatever minor victory you had, like, you know, shooting is going to get taken, taken away from you. Like, like someone rewinding a remote, uh, a couple things that this movie does um, that I didn't notice the first time around, but really calls into like the kind of general thing of like uh, MPAA stuff around like that America is fine with violence, but abhors like uh, language and nudity. And like that's where they draw the line that I didn't notice the first time that I think are actually relatively clever is, um, you know, after they're already kidnapped in the other room, uh, Michael Pitt says like, or P- I, for- I forget who it's Paul or Peter says, fuck. And Tim Roth is like, can we at least watch the language with the kid here? And it's like, like that's your concern. <laughs> like he's, he's, you know, he's like uh, bound at this point with his thing in a mask. And he's seen like these people like assault their wives. And like Tim Ross still has the energy to fight back against like uh proper language and stuff like that, which is like, so like ridiculous. Like why would anyone care about that at that point? And then, um, the reason that Michael Pitt puts the bag on the head is like when they undress the mom in their underwear, he puts it on and notes that it, we must 
preserve moral decency that again the nudity is is the corrupting influence of kids but being like witness to violent subjugation of his of, of a woman or people is less damaging than seeing nudity or even the suggestion of nudity yeah yeah i i um I, I, I think that that speaks to the fact that he was originally trying to... He was originally speaking to a, a, a more of a Western and specifically American audience with his, yeah. his original film. And he had to kind of compromise by making it um, in France, I believe. Um, I, I believe it's 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 in France. It's it's in German, but um, uh, the, uh, I think the house is. Shot which, which you use the same house for both. I don't know if we mentioned that, but that's very funny, too. Yeah, and he... Um, he, he he like i think he kind of failed to speak to his audience originally yeah um and which because, he would say too yeah yeah and, and i think he kind of not for his own faults but i think he kind of also failed to speak to his audience in the um remake as well because he do, do <laughs> you know you know what the while he's tisk tisking at yeah. these bourgeois audience he's while he's tisk tisking at this bourgeois audience he's he's uh uh, for you know, uh, loving odd, uh, loving horror, uh, loving violence on film. Uh, his bourgeois audience is largely going saying back to him, "Yes, you're right. We we abhor violence. We think violence is 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 cruel and unnecessary. Why does it perpetrate so many of our films? When in reality, they're like, <laughs> this is he's like speaking to an audience that largely watches like Bergman movies. <laughs> like this was playing at con. Like this. Well, is so not, hold on. You know, one of the jokes in. though. It's not really a joke. Like Haneke didn't even know what happened. They bring it up in an interview. But one of the American trailers cut it like a like a horror comedy. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, and like it was like funny games and it has all these things to like big bouncy movies and it like you know show it it was like almost like uh i i was able to find the trailer and it reminded me a little bit of the way like ready or not was marketed like yeah this is gonna be about like some violence and and people getting hurt but it's like i'm gonna have a good time and he asked uh he was asked what they thought and he said well i don't have anything to do with cutting the trailers like you know marketing people are going to do what the marketing people do and they go well, yeah but aren't you concerned that like uh people would go in expecting some sort of like big horror comedy and like get this movie and he's like uh he's like <laughs> he didn't say this but the sense i got from his answer was like uh no like that's exactly yeah, yeah. like but he, his the answer was like i think if they were going in expecting a gory family, like a, a a violent movie about a family being tortured that was supposed to be funny. I think they're the perfect audience for this film. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Actually, in a weird way, um, the because this this movie bombed, it made like half its budget back. Yeah, it was like budget um, eight million, made five. So yeah, um, it, it, it won no MTV awards. Just no one, no MTV awards. Didn't get best um, kiss. Na- Naomi Watts didn't win Scream Queen of uh, the year or whatever. <laughs> I mean, if anyone should have won Scream Queen, it should have been Tim Roth because, like, the the howl he lets out after his son is murdered is uh. The, maybe one of the most bone chilling demonstrations of uh, auditory grief I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. I want to get there in just like one sec because that, like, I feel like that should point us towards the end. Is like the fact that that the the, the film has like a, at its core like true emotional rawness. This is not the act of a troll. No. Um. But um. 
was he was he gonna say oh but the that marketing the, the marketing move uh it probably did more for his movie than he would have done if he had to cut his own trailer because it's incredibly savvy to yeah to exactly to target target the audience that would be looking for sort of like a flippant violent adventure and yeah. being like uh actually psych uh, yeah, and like you, I could see people thinking it's going to be a high energy stylistic affair by the the beginning, being like this ain't your dad, like you can, this ain't your daddy's horror movie. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I, I thought so and too. Then there's like, a bunch yeah. of noise rock playing. I mean, when when he first hits like um, the first like act of violence that occurs on screen, which still occurs off screen, I was like, oh weird, we didn't see it. Like, you know, I, I didn't know that that's what I was going to, was going to happen. And like, so I had to slowly dawn, like it slowly dawned on me what movie I was watching, uh, much like it must have done for people that are like, this is going to be fucking hilarious. Let's get oh, some yeah, beers, and- some bros, <laughs> some brews, some bros. Maybe we see some nips <laughs> uh, and some dead gold, dead golden retrievers. Uh, real dead that that um the yeah. moment when the golden retriever flops out of the back out of the yeah like so range rover or whatever the yeah. rich people car they have is just so much more disturbing than actually watching the animal oh yeah would have been. which is true of all of them yeah, oh i mean but that flop is like brutal it's 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 brutal it's brutal like it's it, it that is an act of, of violence in and of itself that he was like used it's it's an act of psychic violence that he used the body of the dog to let the family know that he's being serious and that's kind of like as we're pointed towards the end like it's kind of the thing i was saying at the beginning that i think he like the the weird contradiction of the that that's at the center of this is that i think he exhibits like an understanding of genre techniques that's like masterful like it feels like he watched a bunch of great slashers and home invasion movies going back, you know, to, uh, like back to the 60s. And he was like, I like this, this, this and this and, and, and plucked elements and but, you know, kept kept it to a sort of very staid uh, conservative sort of, of quality. And I, I mean, conservative in terms of um, uh, detail provided, not in a, a political sense. Um, but uh I, I still like thematically don't think he totally understands the genre of horror and home invasion <laughs> thrillers and, and, and such. I don't think he totally understands like why people watch these movies or he, he is perhaps being too presumptuous with why people watch these movies. But I think like technique and execution wise, he's masterful at deploying the techniques from the movies. It's, 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 um it's interesting that that stuff would translate across the, the ocean, but like, uh, his sensibilities inform. Uh, I, I think his sensibilities were projected on why audiences desire um, to watch uh, movies that explore anxieties. And yeah. we talk a lot about why horror is important to us. And I'll, I'll save this for like my final thoughts when we get there. But like, uh, yeah, that's not the that's that's not necessarily the whole story is like i want to watch a bunch of hor- horrifying shit happen and like oh you you secretly want this family to get hurt don't you and it's like no but the family kind of needs hurt get needs to get hurt for the story to happen which is part of which is something he specifically says he's like there'd be no plot if one i think michael pitt says something like oh yeah where he um, says want a good um, plausible ending why don't right? you just plausible- kill us and he says you should you're forgetting the importance of entertainment yeah, and he also says you want a good ending, right? With plausible yeah. plot development. Yeah, yeah. Like because we do as an audience, it's 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 we kind of know very often when we watch these like you know like a 
like a revenge film and Liam Neeson is going to murder a bunch of guys, but we kind of need to like be escorted there in 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 an, art, in an artful fashion. Yeah. Um, because like there's people that still watch Taken, but there's nobody that watches Taken 3. Um, <laughs> uh, there's no, well, there's I don't no know one anybody that runs Taken the at the end of the there's At the end of the movie, if uh, Liam Neeson and his daughter get killed. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, so to, t- that, to that point, like, I do, I think you, you kind of hit on this, but, like, that he understands the trappings of, like, genre and horror filmmaking. Like, I think it's true of his other movies, too. Like, he does understand the mechanics of genre filmmaking enough to make movies that are using the the tension building techniques and again just like the the net reference giving you a different punchline or a diff or a lack of a punchline then you're then you're supposed to ex- expect from that like i'll refer to that interview i mentioned like at the beginning as the bookend like he when he was asked, like, so is it your way to, you know, tell to show that you abhor or dislike violent films? And he says, no, like, I make movies that are very violent. <laughs> like, so it's just is is the violence of of trauma more effective at showing the horror of violence than the 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 gruesome act and has the gruesome act itself in a lot of cases being perverted to not be something traumatic but to be something joyful or funny or uh, entertainment yeah yeah and i think that that brings us to like the centerpiece of the movie for me Uh, i doubt it's for most people but the centerpiece of the movie for me is um the boy is dead they've left the house yeah now what's left like we are left with, they're basically playing a game of cat and mouse wherein they um, left to beaten, wounded, traumatized people and they want to see, oh, are you able to escape? Like, it's not a game unless we give you a chance to get away. Yeah. Um, that's the only time that they even plausibly could be, cons- the only time you could plausibly consider what they're doing, a a, a, a game with fairness. Right? Yeah. Like, the only thing that could even plausibly be considered as a, as a, as a game. Um, and... The like you were just you were discussing earlier with Naomi Watts just struggling against the tape and and at this point like I had forgotten when the husband died so I was like am I just looking at his corpse because he's not moving he's not struggling yeah. the way yeah. she is like she's trying to like and all she's trying to you're like is she trying to break the tape and she just wants to turn off fucking NASCAR. Yeah. Like she's just like NASCAR is blaring in her fucking ear and she just wants to turn it off and like have a moment of quiet like just like it's 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 what I think anybody that has dealt with trauma or depression or anxiety can contend with like you it you, sometimes you're just like the world is is the stimuli coming in needs to stop. I need like a quiet room. I need everything to stop. Yeah. Um and she does that, and, like, her first order of concern is, like, internal. Her first order, order of concern is, like, I need I need to make my brain stop spinning before I can do literally anything. And they start working on the pragmatics of survival in a way that, like, it's, it's amazing. I, I talk shit about The Walking Dead a lot, but, like, it's amazing how much The Walking Dead is, like, unconcerned with, like, the core pragmatics of, like, day-to-day survival and, like, how, like, people actually, like uh internalize stress and how people internalize like oh well 
that's going to hurt a fucking lot to do that. So, uh, you know, I can't actually do the, the, the perfect or even the blue perfect version of our plan. Um, I'm going to need to sit in this chair and just cry for a little bit. Like, yeah. Um, all of that stuff is so believable and it, and it's, it's, it almost acts as a, um, a fuck you. It, it, I don't believe it was intended this way necessarily, but it acts as a fuck you to when you watch a horror movie and you're like, like uh, oh, Tony's on a tree trunk, and you're like, run, run! You have to be a perfect survivor right now. I don't care that you just saw your entire family dead. You need to be a perfect survivor and make zero mistakes. And you're getting yeah. frustrated at them for being human. And like this movie is like, no, this we're we're in stasis. Like her son is dead. She feels, and that was basically. their priority. Their priority yeah. was their son. So now, what what do they have to get up and run for? Yeah, and that's like part of the game for yeah. the 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 um Peter and Paul is like how much like I caused you a great deal of pain. Can you can you muscle through it? And all of that is going on and then she eventually goes over to him and he in a very I think telling sequence because it's not him emasculating him, but like no. the husband needs as much physical comfort as he does need like a, like more than her like he needs more physical and in emotional that moment, yeah. comfort than she needs and like but then he starts like acting like a little bit more rationally and he's trying to help her with the cell phone and like they're kind of being a, a team in survival like no person is being the barbara from night of the living dead just screaming and wailing like there's no a, there's well there's like there's like a whole three minute sequence of like tim roth having no other options he can't run and look for help because his leg's fucked up. And he just has to sit in this house and blow dry a fall. All like the the whole like post kid death traumatic stuff before it gets back into uh the vi- or the the violence of, of, of Peter and Paul, like is long. It's like thirty minutes. Thirty minutes of an of an hour and fifteen minute movie of them just Going through the process of like, ex- not accepting, but like recognizing what's just occurred, trying to have a moment of grief, and then kind of, you know, in some ways deciding that they should do something. Like, and then trying to determine what that would do, and then the process of how like unsatisfying it is. Like, no one gets to go. And grab a phone and call the cops and they see the cop car coming and even have the moment of like, it's going to the rock house or, oh, no, Michael Pitt was a cop the whole time. We call they, they don't get any of that. Instead, it's just uh, like, I'm going to try to blow dry this phone. We see her like just go to these houses that, you know, a lot of people aren't there because these are vacation weekend houses and um, they're they're not actually housing people in the way that houses should be. Um, and so she, you know, is just running out of options and gates are locked and lights are off completely. And it's like, you know, it's just miserable. Like they're, they're escaping their freedom, which you do feel in that moment because it's before the rewinding time is, is possible for one or both of them. And the movie could turn into, you know, something like a straw dogs type situation where the brutality existed. And now we're, we're going to turn the games on them or we're going to become a force to be reckoned with. And it's like just 30 minutes of ultimately nothing but misery uh, ending with, uh, you know, more, 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 uh, and and they feel, you know, when they, when they're back to them, like they, 
they have almost no fight in them. You know, they're bruised and they're battered and they're sad. And it's just like, you know, our, our primary motivator the first time around was our son's safety. And now our motivator is like, if we can get revenge, we could try. But like in this moment, we don't feel like we have something strong to live for besides like just seeing you not get what you want. And I think like if if I'm going to move to my final thoughts, that, that whole scene is effective. But I think all those things like – I am totally like I, Peter. I was expecting you to, you know, kind of be like this movie sucks. This movie, and, and I think you know, as we've talked about, I wasn't expecting like a, we hate movies or not to approach the material and have a good discussion about it, which I, I always thought we were going to do, and it was worthwhile. But like, I totally get why you could watch this movie and be like, yeah, I get it. Fuck this movie. Like <laughs> that. That is not a dynamic of seeing this movie that I think is something that I would argue with with people on what the the point i would only take is this idea that it's like this massive troll it you might not like you might agree with this point you may not agree with this point you may think that the way that he tried to do the point is is a two is non-subtle and doesn't work for you or whatever else you want to call it but i don't think it's meant to just be like rub your nose and the fact that you you like violence and here's what you're getting i think it really is reckoning with a lot of the trappings of like violent cinema and what we don't get to see and what we don't spend any time on like there's definitely good movies that reckon with violence but there's no other movie that spends like 10 minutes on just the processing immediately following the violent and sudden death of your like child and Again, whether that's something that's compelling to you as a moviegoer and something you want to watch, that's a different question. But the idea that it's there just to fuck with you, I think, is is really selling the movie itself short. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And that's why I found more in it this time, because it does legitimately commit. Uh, he ne- it, it actually makes real characters of George, George and Anne in a way that um, I think really like helped turn my thinking around and and activate parts of my brain that I wasn't really using at the time. But yeah, I mean, like, I I, I feel like uh, at its least charitable, what I would say about it is that like, at at my least charitable now, my assessment is not that uh, Michael Hennick is some sort of like hypocrite or um, a, a, uh, an outright liar. Um, What I would say now at my least charitable is like, I, I think perhaps by not engaging with the reasons for why people do seek out vi- violent art, um, notably like us two, which is like sometimes it's a great exploration of the violence that we see in our, our day-to-day world. Yeah. It's an exploration of uh, our anxieties about the world around us. Sometimes it's, it's an escape from the violence because this has no real stakes. Yeah, sometimes it's actually it's the same reason you want to hear story, violent, you know, fables and stories, and we have since the dawn of man, which is that like, I want a, I want a sense of justice. Like, I want like I want a, a good story that like wherein the bad guys are not just defeated, but like brutally defeated and can't come back and bite them on the yeah. bite us on the ass again. Like, I I want because like in my day to day life, like we have people like <laughs> fucking like Mitch McConnell is going to die a happy old man in uh, bed surrounded by loved yeah. ones yeah who, who will who will be honored by his co- his 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 colleagues at the senate uh as if he was a as if he was a god and like the worst people in our world are uh, very often go to their deathbed 
happy with surrounded by family. Very few people get the ignominious end of Hitler. <laughs> um, like sometimes we seek out these stories of violence because like the sense of justice in the world, it very often eludes us. Like, uh, and I'm not saying that all stories need to be some sort of coddling of our inner, inner fantasies or that it's, or that it's necessarily healthy to have violent fantasies. Um, but like it does feel at times like there's a there's a there's a there's a feeling of like um, uh, tisk tisk uh, why would you uh, uh, why why do you need these these violent pursuits and I'm like why why does any human need these violent pursuits it's, yeah. it's been a thing we've been seeking out as a as a race for for forever um, and I think that it's like a very complicated sort of thing going on yeah. but the the reason that I can find space to really still enjoy this movie and uh, sort of um, see through it is because I think he does try and understand the same, the, the genre technique of, of a horror film and like use deploying it properly and respectfully and actually trying to like um, engage with what, what you're, what you see and what you don't see. Um, it's just that I think that the way that he sets off the conversation um, with horror media and horror thriller media is is um antagonistic in a way that's like i don't think particularly um i don't think it particularly gets the conversation off on a good foot i don't he doesn't no, need to have he doesn't need to have the whole conversation within the movie that's obviously an unfair expectation but i think he doesn't necessarily get the convo off on the right foot i think that's a fair 100 percent a fair criticism like it, it's the same way like i can use any topic but like if you start a topic about like economics with just saying, well, first off, all money is bullshit. Like, I do believe that, but you know, it's like, where do you go to have a conversation from there? And the fact that you may have ended at your, um, you may have, uh, started the conversation with your, your ending premise, um, you know, might not, might make people that even are generally aligned with you, like, you need to have some chill. A little bit. And so uh, maybe that's a terrible analogy, but it's also late and that's where my head went. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think that's I think that's right. Again, this is not a movie where not that most movies do I feel like I have to debate someone's like enjoyment of it. But this is this is not a movie that I think that people that don't like it didn't get it. I think they got it. Uh, I also understand why it would not be. It's not a pleasurable experience. I, I do call I, I have given this movie. I gave it four and a half stars this time. Um, maybe mainly because again the games were too funny and it detracted from the seriousness of of the rest of it. But um, you know it's 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 in that requiem for a dream type category. It's like I, sure it's a masterpiece or I think it's approaching a masterpiece. Like a lot of Haneke stuff that I've watched, like White Ribbon, like Cachet. It's, you know I can go another ten years without seeing it. It's it's. I had trouble wanting to see it, even though I was very much looking forward to this discussion. Um, just because it's been a, you know, it's post Christmas winter blues, and man, a, a whole night to devote to funny games. I don't know if I have it in me, but I'm glad we did. This was a really good uh, conversation, and we get to move to something very light, Peter. We don't have a name for this month. I thought like we could do Albertication or something like that because we're going to be watching uh, four movies by. Uh, we we rarely do director stuff in general, where we, we we have occasionally. We try to do more genre stuff or series stuff, even if we try to do do that, which we sometimes do once a year, like the Mad Max stuff, which is both series and 
you know, director stuff because it was one was one director. But I did find out last summer, I think, that Peter had never seen an Albert Brooks movie. And I had been wanting to figure out a way to do a couple of them on the show, specifically uh, recently rewatching Defending Your Life. And I've always wanted to do real life on the show. It was like and Peter had never seen one. It's like, let's let's do a Brooks month. So um, we're doing we're doing the, the four best, the four really good ones. We're doing uh, real life uh, with guest Ethan Warren. We're doing uh, Modern Romance. We're doing Lost in America with guest David Clark. And we're doing Defending Your Life. And if you want to hear about looking for comedy in the Muslim world or the muse, I or mother, I would recommend um, hoping that some other podcast has covered them. But it feels somewhat <laughs> unlikely. Uh, yeah, we usually don't. It's a good point, Aaron. We usually don't cover um, uh, an entire run of a director. Um, but I feel like it'd be fun to do sort of a primer on, on Albert yeah. Brooks. Uh, we usually like to take different directors and compare and contrast their techniques on, on, on approaching the same topic. So like when we did, like, I think a classic example is we did the Running Man Month. Where it was yeah. Like, uh, Future uh, sport, yeah. Yeah, the Future Sport Month, where it was like a bunch of different games of the future. It's kind of talking about the same theme. It's, it's all like, accidentally fascist, which was... Not on purpose that we did it three months after a fascist game home show host got elected president. Yes, yes. Uh, whereas, but for Albert Brooks, it would be it's it's kind of fun. Also, the amount of people that were just like, "Oh, can I have this?" And you're like, "You can have this." And like, "That's great too." And then like a month later, like, "Hey, do you want to cover this one specific movie?" And they're like, "Is this one available?" And you're like, "Yeah, it's like everybody has sort of one that they're like absolutely insanely passionate about." Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, there's there's. I think there's the the we'll probably talk about like it's going to be bookends for me like I really love all four of these movies. Uh, the first one is the one I love intellectually, and the first the second one is I like a, I love like a, I don't know emotionally or like one's a one's a really amazing like heart tugger while being very Albert Brooksy, and one is just like just a just a fucking hilarious comedy, which also kind of pairs well as a as a corollary to our guest month because this is a this is kind of a uh, very early. A mockumentary. Ethan Warren, though, our guest, this is something I did not know, and I'm not going to have time to watch it all. I I thought Real Life was like this amazing mockumentary. I didn't know it's a specific parody of a PBS show, like a documentary series that ran for like eight episodes or eight hours on PBS a few years before. So I need to watch some of that because that, that truly... I know one little bit of Googling would have probably let me know it, but I never thought to look because I've always been like, well, Albert Brooks is such a comedy genius. What a funny concept, this idea of reality television. I didn't know it was like a fucking, like, oh, you know that PBS show that ran a couple years ago? I'm going to do a parody version of that for a movie. So that that was a little mind-blowing to learn. I guess Ethan's watched it all so or try, is trying to watch it all. So um, – I'm sure we'll get some really good, incisive uh, Ethan Warren commentary on that, that, you know, depending on time, we may cut. But next week is real life. So I'm I'm really excited, Peter, just knowing that you haven't seen any of these, uh, because I cannot imagine that you won't uh, like to love all of them. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty pumped, Um, particularly particularly because of the people that are coming on. uh, We're just insanely excited for it. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So we'll see you. Next week, weef. Next week, we'll see you next week for real life. I had entered into a marriage. 
much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>